Do you hear the infinite dog barking? Yeah. For 20 minutes. That's how we went. I do apologise to listeners for the way the fact that you barked like a dog for 20 minutes of this podcast. I do, and I had to tell my agitators. It's so hot in here. Hello and welcome to episode 191 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 30th of May, 2017. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. Philippa War. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. So, uh, for the final time, I regret to inform everybody, we are going to do a new section about Far Cry 5. <laughs> this is the last one. Definitely, definitely the last time we do this it's just before e3 so nothing's happening that's why we have to talk about far yeah. cry there's gonna be some like playthrough of it at e3 that's amazing and we'll be <laughs> itching if, to talk about if it. that yeah, happens I don't think happen. we'll find another segment of the podcast to put it in <laughs> i'll ask a, I'll, on the download i'll ask a listener to write in a question <laughs> we're just we should because we can finally talk with maybe some actual information about the game we've been talking about for three weeks mm-hmm. um but nonetheless the trailer looks like I mean, so we knew the setting last week, um, which is Montana, a fictional county in Montana, and it's a um, religious cult that's sort of setting up a militia there, and um, it's sort of like Christian-based cult. Um, mm. No real talk of racism so far from them. Um, it seems like it's mostly uh, a religion thing. And then the trailer shows just sort of disjointed clips of gameplay that... Um, include riding around on quad bikes shooting uzis which is just extremely like far cry 4 like yeah. very little that it shows is different to far cry 4 there's planes in this one there were helicopters in far cry 4 um and that's about it there's a man being chased by a bear yeah so but that's very far cry anyway yeah for someone to be chased by a bear i mean they have made the same game three times in a row surely yeah. it's gonna be the fourth in that that same game series yep I'll be happy with that. No. One thing, um, I read an interview, um, and, and obviously most of it's about the setting and stuff, but um, they, the, the I don't know, the creative director or whoever it was they were interviewing said the magic words for me, which was, um, uh, like, if you look at the outposts in Far Cry, they're a kind of, um, uh, they're a bit, bit of gameplay that you can approach from any of 360 degrees. And we thought, what if we could apply that to the uh, main story missions? I'm like what yes <laughs> and i don't have any hope that they'll actually uh do that like go all the way through with it but even if that's just their goal then just taking a couple of steps in that direction would be such a huge improvement mm. it's more than 360 isn't it <laughs> it's 360 times 180 right because of degrees of vertical elevation yeah yeah because yeah. it's essentially like a hemisphere, right? That you could approach it from. There are some in in Primal where they're like they're up on a cliff, so you can come at them from below as well. Oh well, that's <laughs> so a little bit more of a vertical thing. But there are also some that are against the cliff, so that whole 180 degrees of that. Maybe it averages out. Is, oh. Yeah, what they need <laughs> is to give you like a drilling mole machine, like that one rarely <laughs> seen Thunderbird Four attachment. Hmm. <laughs> Once the only or the then. thing from the turtles. Yes. It's they had a, a, that kind of driller thing. thing that they yeah. would get into and 
go through the earth, right? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Or, or at least a baddie did. I don't know. It's been a long time. Shredder and Krang yeah, and Bebop and Rocksteady. Bebop and Rocksteady. I believe he used it a lot. Yeah. yeah. If they had that to fuck, right? <laughs> Are we going to have to kill five eagles to make a rucksack um, in Montana? You can. I think you can. You can employ have pets. them. You can employ bears and cougars. <laughs> to make what is their salary? Only, well, the thing is, the only reason that that stuck with me was because bears and cougars kind of mean something very different mm. in the like in. <laughs> yes. I remember yes. I saw a poster for a bear party in Seattle, and and I was very excited. And then I googled it. And <laughs> <laughs> that was not what I thought it but was. Had a going great, to he had a great. He had a great time at the auto party. <laughs> <laughs> And um, cougars there was a again. sloth party in San Francisco last time we there were there, was, right? and that was really a but sloth. But that was real, <laughs> yeah. That was a real sloth. So yeah. <laughs> what can you employ bears and cougars to do in Montana? You're bidding. Uh, when you say employ, in you auctions. Mean, do you mean like as in they sign on? Like, like I don't really know because I wasn't really paying attention and I kind of didn't really care because Far Cry Five to me sounds like a meal deal, but. Mm. Um, I figured like I would read the press release because of diligence and it just said that you can make bears and cougars fight for you. Yeah, so, so it's this kind is, of mercenaries. They have that in Far Cry Primal. You can tame them with meat and then they become your pets. And then you get this like stable of pets where you can have like 20 and they don't. All, you can only have one at a time. But, and they're all in this magic like menu thing where you can just summon them and, and dismiss them. Um, so I'm imagining it's going to be something like that. But there's a great line in the Kotaku uh, preview where um, uh, the journalist asks, um, uh, any chance of like an uh, upgrades for the dog? Because you can have a dog. And uh, he says, well, you can imagine where we're going with that kind of thing. <laughs> can we? We can imagine where you're going with the dog upgrade system. <laughs> I'm not sure I can. Mine has tank tracks. Cerberus heads. Three of them. If you're talking about Metal Gear Solid Five direction, then awesome. Where like you can, the dog can have a stun knife. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like, because what's better than a dog? A cat? Maybe. <laughs> no, let's not uh, get debatable. into this. Or like a monkey. Yeah. I a mean, bear would be like arguably. Although, so in Far Cry Primal, bigger. Far Cry Primal, the bear is the tough one. The dog is not uh, high damage or high hit points, but can go and fetch things for you. So it'll go and loot bodies for you. The Jack Russell of all trades. And they have actually, uh, no. uh, they have actually said that in Far Cry Five they'll be able to go and like pick up guns for you and bring them to you. But they're pack animals, so could you multi-dog? <laughs> I probably not. I think they're probably <laughs> going to do the one pet thing again. Interesting. Yeah, because it seems more likely that you'd have a pack of. Yeah. I don't know why they would limit you, really. You could also have flock of flamingos, but I'm not sure what bidding they would do. No, fly, my pretty. Fabulous. <laughs> well, you could maybe play croquet with them. <laughs> they're, they're psychic, like the Far Primal Owl, but they don't go anywhere. So it's just like, well, that's they what just the lake walk looks back like. Back and forth down the lake. <laughs> but no, they because don't they live in those really highly corrosive salt marshes and things? Mm. So huh. like that's and their legs are basically made of like uranium or something to protect them from I'm not sure is that true I maybe was playing in my imagination (laughs) when I was watching uh, Planet Earth 2 (laughs) but the broad point is the same they are highly resistant uranium legs legs remains true (laughs) they they are highly resistant to salt marshes so if they want to gate off any of their 360 degree mission areas with a salt marsh perhaps (laughs) riding on like a bed of flamingos because you probably couldn't ride an individual oh when they do their strut yeah exactly oh that would be so great to crowd surf on them yeah (laughs) 
So good. So good. That's not going to happen in the video game Far Cry 5. See, this is why I prefer going off into my imagination and not playing Far Cry 5. That's the only place you can play it right now. Oh. Because it's not out. Yeah, but in my imagination, Far Cry 5 is also just like a coffee and a sandwich for five pounds. Oh. Mm. Because the Boots meal deal was always really sad. And so I used to think of it as the sad blunch. Lunch. but <laughs> then far lunch. cry would be because you have to walk to get it and then you feel sad about it and it costs a fiver <laughs> you see it's a far cry I, five. I didn't question that logic the first time you said it but now and that's all of the far cry five news indeed <laughs> yeah i don't think there's anything else to say about it really and there won't be until it's out and even then it might have already had its time <laughs> so you wow. get from announcing your game in tiny tiny drips <laughs> So, but there was news from a few weeks ago that is also what you've been playing, Tom. Yes, I and played kind of, Destiny 2. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable we didn't talk about this already, but I wanted, <laughs> I wanted us to wait until you were back because you've actually, actually played it. I have actually played the PC version as well. <gasps> it's now on PC and it's really good. Tell us about Destiny 2. So, Destiny uh, is... Destiny. Destiny is... <laughs> um, I wonder if they ever considered that, if anyone even suggested it. <laughs> Kind of a persistent online game, uh, which is focused around uh, co-op activities such as 20-minute strikes, which are like mini dungeons, uh, through to six-person cooperative raids, which are these incredible uh, kind of puzzle shooters, uh, which require just intense leadership, uh, not leadership, cooperation. What's yeah. that? Team- yeah. Teamwork. Teamwork. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. It's a mixture of cooperation <laughs> and leadership. Match teamwork into leadership, and you get <laughs> that. Cool. Um, so uh, yes, yeah, so, anyway, uh, and all of this happens in incredibly exciting space environments, uh, which mm. look like beautiful works of concept art that have just been brought to life, like the moon, like the moon. Uh, but I no, actually, no longer the moon. You go to more exciting moons. You go to Titan. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, that's a good moon. Uh, and I, I, you do go to I. Cool. Mm-hmm. And, and Nessus. And Nessus. Yeah, which is a Vex world. Uh, the Vex are a robot AI race who um, live throughout time and space and when they colonize a planet they tend to mine it out and turn it into a kind of extension of their consciousness so that's nessus uh so you do lots of shooting heads on nessus <laughs> on top of their shit which is good um but it's the what's so exciting about it is that there's nothing like it on pc for a start uh, and also it's kind of it feels like the second coming of the mmo like a reworking of the core tenets of what the mmo does but mm. Uh, as a really good shooter, as a really fun and consistently interesting shooter with cool character classes uh, that let you play a space warlock or a space titan who's like a tanky one, or a space hunter who wears a hood and can like stealth around a bit. Uh, and they can also use the same. Water with them. That we can do roly polies. Yes, Hunters that's true. are the worst. They're the best. Mm. I heard the word stealth. I think I'm sold on a class. Well, no, no, you're, you're, guaranteed, you're guaranteed to be the. Actually, the, they've basically removed the stealth from Destiny 2, which is something we can get in a minute. But, it's, it's all about shooting, really. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, uh, mislead anyone. when you said there's nothing like it on PC, I actually heard through the force the entire uh, Warframe community cry out uh, in terror <laughs> before, suddenly before being suddenly silenced. I have never actually played yeah. Warframe, but I've never really been attracted to it because that's a profoundly ugly game. But like, I, I understand Warframe does a lot of the same things as Destiny, but Destiny is at a level of polish that I'd be amazed if any other game reached it. Really. Yeah, a completely uh, a different level of scope as well. Like you're not, you don't have those raids in Warframe. And no, no game has those raids. No. That, that's like a, a design pinnacle. 
uh, from the raids in Destiny 1, like Vault of Glass, which was designed by Luke Smith, who's now the lead on Destiny 2. Mm. Uh, basically just uh, used to be a really hardcore World of Warcraft raider. I played it really intensively. Mm. And he's translated not just the kind of moment-to-moment mechanics of an of a MMO raid, but the feeling of an MMO raid, of that intense teamwork and kind of clutch moments of victory in, mm. in very difficult circumstances. Um, just like really high level of challenge, but as a, a puzzle shooter, cooperative puzzle shooter, which is uh, not played anything else like it. No, they've never bettered Vault of Glass, though. I would say that is still mm. the best raid. I've not Does played it? the new one. I haven't played the fine. The yeah, the people say that's really one. good. I, I I have a soft spot for uh, not Curtis End, um, Oryx Kingsfall. Mm. I do have a soft spot for Kingsfall because um, like nothing. The thing they like. To explain why the raids are so good, it's it, they're always a mixture of intensely complicated boss encounters that require a kind of choreographed dance of all the players doing kind of crazy high, high concept sci-fi things, um, like disarming the seven sentient musical notes that will delete you from the timeline if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> or um, by or, shooting them. Yes, by shooting them with guns. Uh, yeah. Um, or uh, as another highlight, of the Vault of Glass, retrieving uh, an object from one of two different alternate future or past versions of the room that you're in in order to take your shield on the boss down. Cool things like that. And then between those things are kind of like um, slapstick, slapstick chaos, mm. um, basically mostly revolving around jumping puzzles. Um, and uh, then there was the stealth section in the Vault of Glass, which they never really returned to um, <laughs> sensibly. Sensibly, but they almost acted as great levelers because my experience of raiding a lot in Destiny One was. People who are really good and calm and collected during the boss fights can't do the jumping puzzles. And people who can do the jumping <laughs> puzzles, God knows, in the in the boss fights. So there's always this leveler of like your best your best, most reliable, you know, traditional raid activity person will fall down a lot during the the funny jumping bits and I will always be fond of the King's Fall jumping bits. No, so. I hate the King's Fall jumping bits. They're so funny. It's yeah. so miserable. You can tell who was good at the jumping bits <laughs> and it was not me. Hunters are fabulous at the jumping bits because of our triple jump. What? How many uh, players do you have in these raids? Six. Is it just that's the maximum? Yeah. Oh, right. So it's quite small. It yeah. works really, really well, though. Compared to like, because World of Warcraft was like 40 man yeah. raids and stuff, right? It feels, like, it feels like what would be a group in a World of Warcraft raid is a player in Destiny. <laughs> um, because, I mean, it, it almost literally, like, it's not, it's not miles off. Actually, it's even less than that, because, you know, a 40 man raid would have eight to five player groups in it dedicated to like healing, DPS maybe performing particular objectives based on the on the boss and Destiny works actually very similarly it's just that one person takes on a bigger set of responsibilities by themselves in terms of it being an MMO uh, are you like do you run into strangers in public places yep mm-hmm. and how many people like in one area is is sort of normal that's a good question because there's like it's Guild Wars heavy. 1 was technically an MMO kind of but there's really only in missions there are only like four of you I think and then in towns there'd be a load but you couldn't yeah it's very close Guild Wars yeah, 1 Guild Wars really is. is very good oh, right. yeah, yeah it's, it's always exactly the same structure uh, which is what I've said in my piece of game a cover feature coming to stores near you soon <laughs> uh, and yeah it's kind of you trace Destiny's roots back to Guild Wars 1 and Diablo those are the two things that it really right. does so it's um, it's about going into these little kind of short co-op bits and getting a bit of loot out of it going back to town looking at your cool gear and leveling up and turning into like a cooler space person uh <laughs> and show in uh, that process you're obviously showing off to your friends mm. uh, but what destiny does is tie that to a shooter for a start and is bungie making it so they they've got all this experience of creating mostly console shooters um but what i've discovered playing it is that 
they really know what they're doing in terms of they've tweaked it significantly to make it work with a mouse and keyboard. Um, so, for example, on uh, console, the pad uh, version of the game, the reticule is slightly below center um, for reasons of just feel, game feel. Apparently, it just feels better and uh, it's, it aligns with enemies' heads more easily. So the, the smaller, weaker enemies, the cursor's designed to line up with their heads so that you get tri- more trivial headshots on those guys and you get mm. more of a quick power fantasy of like snapshotting a load of aliens. Um, but they've centered that for the PC version. They've changed the recoil on all the guns uh, so that you're not... T- chasing your mouse cursor and bringing it, dragging it back down constantly whereas on pad that feels quite natural because huh. you have that continuous movement mm. with the thumbsticks right. so they've really thought about like very carefully about the feel of a mouse and keyboard and how it differs from a pad and I was very encouraged to hear that because that's what I was really worried about is that it, that this immense pad shooter wouldn't translate onto a PC with that kind of faster frame rates that demand for high latency mm. um, but it feels great it feels great it is, it's a bit of a shame that it's coming later on PC isn't it because it really is yeah. uh, like the big question that uh, I know we're all sort of asking um, each other is like, well, which platform are you going to play on? Because we just want to play with our friends, right? PS4. And yeah, I'm definitely on PS4. <laughs> if it's first, then yeah, everyone's pretty much going to play the console version. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still good for people who just don't have um, PS4 version, but uh, have they talked about crossplay at all? Is that a It's not going to happen. Not no. gonna happen. Uh, you know, I don't think you're even going to have like shared accounts, like uh, right. shared characters across games or anything like that. They're going to keep them quite separate. I guess it's not. It's not as if there's not going to be a PC community, right? Like, no yeah, matter how late it is, that there'll be a whole load, shitload of people playing it then and there. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I th- it, what's a shame about it is that Destiny's at its best when all the communities at the same place. When mm. something new has come out and there's that buzz, not just in the game but offline on forums and on Reddit, people trying to discover new secrets and uh, people kind of talking about new lore revelations and bits mm. of dialogue they liked, and that that's as much a part of Destiny as the game itself. Yeah, mm. I would imagine they probably don't want to stagger it too much because then you get into things where, like, the, when the expansion is hitting for console, like you wouldn't want that to be on a delay as yeah. well, would you? That'd be really sad if that happened i um, wonder if yeah. the raid will hit like whether they'll delay the raid to hit mm. on both at the same time even if the yeah what one would hope because that's very spoilerable like the raids yeah. are very right. kind of like, spoiling a raid is a big deal so when um three of us in the this room have played a lot of destiny one and whenever we went into raids like we used to do like cold raiding yeah where you go and you don't know anything about it and it, hmm. you've been there for nine hours <laughs> because it's so hard to figure out what the puzzles are but it's such a satisfying yeah. and like, unique experience you wobble your way towards a solution just by trial and error well, and someone like, accidentally finding that oh if you stand on this thing this happens and <laughs> like you'd find out later that a thing that you thought was integral to it was actually just an accidental thing that one of you did and it doesn't need to happen at all but you've got <laughs> into the habit of doing it because you thought it was important yeah yeah and it's such like um, I know Destiny One is is definitely in my top games of all time, like without a doubt. Like I, I mean, ever since I, I put PS4 in in this room so that we record the Bloodborne videos, I've been playing it daily again, just because it's such a good kind of reliable, brilliant, entertaining shooter attached to progression mechanics that I'm, I'm fond of. But like my greatest memories of that game will always be having gone into those things for the first time with mm. a sort of an assortment of friends and actually having kind of made friends through it as well because there was of the core group of people that I, I knew quite well but I got to know I like this is the oldest MMO story around but I got to know people that I maybe wouldn't have known that well through the fact that they also happened to be playing you know PS4 Destiny and wanting to do the same things at the same time and then um, through this sort of extended raiding community I found that Destiny genuinely had a lovely community on the whole and I yeah. met I got a huge PlayStation 4 friends list of people who still play the game because of I spent six months raiding every week uh, with random groups and that just 
introduce you to loads of people and you know like i'll i'll always be kind of wanting to recapture those experiences with destiny 2 i think so it's kind of an it's just it's gonna have to be playstation 4 for me i mm. think also partly because uh it's really cool to hear that they've captured something of the pc version but like even today after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of that game i am amazed how well designed its controls are mm. like on, on pad that like it's an extraordinary like the the sort of the how intuitive it feels like and how um how physical the kind of aiming of the weapons is and how um there's lots of little things you know or you eventually learn in some sort of deep action game mechanics way about the point at which your melee attack will lock on and pull you slightly towards the thing you're hitting which you can use to manipulate jumps and things like that and all of these tiny nitty-gritty mechanical things that feel so kind of good now that i almost don't want to have to relearn that stuff on a pad or rather i'm sorry on a mouse and keyboard i'd like to go continue using all of that kind of you, destiny instinct you might change your mind when you see it at 60 frames mm. it really makes a big difference uh, and it was impressive going to the event um they had the ps4 version on ps4 pro so it's all 4k and the pc version also running on 4k monitors and it was um running it like an absolute rock steady 60 frames per second looked astonishing and it felt just so precise and crisp. And I'm not normally like a big like frame rate guy. I don't really care unless it matters. Um, and the, but there are a few games like, you know, action games and shooters where there's such a difference in the way the game feels. Mm. And I think if I was to play it on PC, I'd, I'd struggle to go back possibly onto a PS4. Yeah. Mm. And it mm. lo- looks gorgeous as well. Like uh, It's worth mentioning like how good Bungie's artists are at creating huge kind of hopeful sci-fi universes uh, the whole the imagery like the the loading zone for you going from one planet to another is that you watch your ship kind of hovering uh just in orbit of the planet that you're on and you can find new ships so it's almost like a, a little kind of collectible that you have <laughs> and then um, when the loading is complete the camera pans around and the ship just goes into hyperspace and bursts off towards saturn or something mm. and you get this beautiful sequence of just traveling between uh, these planets and then going in and landing uh, it just looks astonishing and if you, if you love sci-fi especially colorful sci-fi uh, then destiny's world is it's going to be a treat real treat talk about uh, the stuff you actually got to play tom because yeah so we played the first campaign mission uh, which basically takes all of destiny one's plot and puts it into a bin and then sets <laughs> it on fire uh, so the the main kind of play space uh, the hub uh, location for destiny one was the tower and that's where you'd you'd hang out and you'd kind of um cash in your loot and you know, upgrade your character and buy stuff from vendors and they added more hub spaces but that, functionally the tower is the kind of the yeah. beacon of the guardian's home that's that's the place where they live and the, the, comically in the first like seven seconds uh, there's a guy standing at a window and he's like what's up to all our satellites and then he turns around and looks outside and just a ton of alien ships come out of the clouds and set fire to the the tower immediately <laughs> uh, it's just um bungie like striking a match and throwing it onto the you know everything they've done in destiny one um destiny just very briefly to give a plot overview um all a lot of people know about destiny is that it's got a giant ball in it <laughs> i remember the giant ball yeah everyone remembers that was the, giant the wizard ball. was it no no, no. no. Oh, what was the wizard <laughs> there were many wizards the wizards uh, oh is that the uh, visitor that's the traveler, the traveler. <laughs> traveler that's it the uh, so, so, so bungee games there's a lot of kind of just terms nouns <laughs> yeah. a lot of big nouns, big uh, nouns. i love big nouns i love a big noun me uh, and it's a big noun for a big ball 
giant <laughs> big nouns and I cannot lie yeah the traveler is a disclosure a beacon of hope that has kind of camped on earth and uh, it, it's being chased by the darkness which is this strange it's being chased I mean it sounds it sounds unbelievable but actually the story is amazing it's being chased by an early noughties glam rock band fake <laughs> <laughs> worse than death if he gets caught um, but yes that's the thing that you, you'll see and that's a huge part of the plot in the first game there's the thing this guy called the speaker who speaks for the traveller in a voice and like this and Bill Nighy and, for some reason and he has says nothing very slowly for about three years uh, and uh, in the first five minutes in the opening mission uh, you go into a courtyard it's under attack there are drop pods coming in and these huge hulking cabal which are basically like Roman legionaries from space come out and then you shoot them in the head and it's brilliant <laughs> uh, and then you get a radio message that says the speaker didn't make it I'm afraid he's gone and I was like oh my god have they killed the speaker have they actually taken this like massive enormous plot hole from the first game and just killed him off because they just don't want to deal with him anymore I think that's what you're going to get from Destiny 2 is just like a reset on that that whole universe so if you're worried about having to catch up with all that stuff I don't think it's going to be a big deal um, so yeah the first campaign mission progresses and it's basically just shooting guys for you go down into the city which is under the traveller and uh, they've done it up like a beautiful kind of blade runner full of neon signs and it's raining and there's aliens kind of coming down from more drop pods just looks incredible uh, and you shoot more guys there and there's a theme emerging here which is, is very much what Destiny's like and then you go to another beautiful <laughs> place uh, and eventually you're kind of confronted by the big boss who's called uh, Dominus Gaul and uh, he's just this big silhouette he's the captain of the Cabal kind of uh, invasion force and uh, it's a lot, like a lot of Destiny's missions, quite short, but full of spectacles. There's a bit where you get into your ship and then you go up into orbit and you go onto the Cabal ship and uh, it drops you off outside, just just outside the railgun <laughs> attached to the ship. <laughs> and so you see the railgun firing these enormous kind of mass blocks down at the planet below. And you have to kind of time it so that between the mass blocks coming through and being shot to the earth, you kind of go up into the barrel and then infiltrate the ship to actually <laughs> get to the boss arena. Awesome. And the, the spectacle of it is just fantastic like it's, it's, quite, it's a linear mission stuff it's just a corridor shooter really but the what they do with it visually and just in terms of the production values makes it feel like a, a the big kind of space opera stuff that you you always want i've mm. always wanted from sci-fi games really the stuff they've brought over from the halo series that they always did very well um did you it's, play more than they showed in the presentation because they showed most of that first mission didn't they and then they cut it off before you would have met gore yeah that's exactly the bit that was playable oh okay um, but we also got to play a strike, mm. which was very good, uh, called the Inverted Spire, I think. Oh, okay. I th- what is a strike? They showed some of that. That's like a 20-minute dungeon, basically. For three people. So it goes like, there's like solo stuff that you can do with up to three people, uh, but that's optional. Then there's strikes, which are designed for three people. And then there are raids, which are designed for six. And that's how Destiny does. So the strike was set on Nessus, which, as I mentioned, has been taken over by this robot consciousness. But the Cabal want it as well. Uh, so you go down, it's, like a, it's being mined out by the Cabal, who their big deal is that they just have planet-killer ships. They've got huge kind of industrial war machines that do their work for them. And if there's a planet in the way, like the Vogons, they'll just melt it with you know big, huge drill. Uh, and they're trying to mine the surface to get to the Vex secrets underneath. And that's the story of the strike. And functionally, what that means is that you fight over battlefields where Cabal and um, the Vex are fighting one another, and you're kind of going through and clearing them out and killing their dogs. <laughs> Um, then you kind of go into this huge uh, valley, which is being mined out by a skyscraper-sized mining machine, 
which is mining the place out with huge spinning blades that are kind of rotating uh, horizontally, uh, which is essentially a jumping puzzle where you're jumping from tier to tier <laughs> while shooting things, trying to avoid these giant spinning blades. Eventually you get into a hatch and you go down to the Vex dungeons and the, all the architecture changes and the, the kind of technology around you changes. And there's kind of a three-stage boss fight where you're falling into different arenas and the boss changes his tactic and kind of changes elemental damage with each section. Um, so it's, it's very much just... Uh, uh, a fun shooting challenge with friends that gives you a bit of loot at the end but they've incorporated some of the design elements from the raids but in a much like easier to mm. understand form so a three a three, three stage boss fight where the boss is changing elements is in a, is more advanced than anything they did with the strikes in the original destiny it's but, a bit prison of elders isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also yeah. like the later like the as in like the february update this year added some variants on old strikes that inherit some of the raid mechanics mm. some stuff so they started to toy with that a little bit in the first game but not loads yeah they're definitely um they've gotten better at pacing the strikes i think especially because it gives you like a battlefield then it gives you a jumping puzzle then it gives you a bit of kind of dropping exploration as you go deeper into the planet and then a firefight and then a boss fight and it just feels much better paced than the original game did mm. i mean so much of destiny 2 is basically going to be destiny one but with stuff they've learned and stuff the mistakes they've made is taken into account yeah uh so in destiny one a lot of the law which is brilliant by the way and don't let anyone tell you otherwise um is it, it unfortunately is kind of delivered to you in grimoire cards which are in an app that's outside of the game and you find the card in the game and it goes to the app so you have to open up your app and you have to find the card and flip it over and it or go you, on the website or go on the website it gives you two paragraphs of law and uh, you collect hundreds of these things and eventually you piece together the really deep and interesting, genuinely cool sci-fi concepts behind Destiny's world. And you'd never have any idea that any of that stuff was there if you were actually playing it. And they're, they're promised they're going to bring more of that into the game, though they haven't said how yet. There's definitely not going to be Grimoire cards or anything like that. So I'm hoping for a much more conventional codex or at least something that... I will not read it if it's a codex. Really? Yeah, I, I really struggle to read things on screens. Right. Like, and so... I think that's why I... I mean, I didn't read all of my grimoire cards, but I had a better hit rate with them than mm. I do with other kinds of MMO where it's like, here's your codex. And I'm like, I will never read that codex, but good to know which hotkey it is. Maybe they should put like a print function in. It's like control P <laughs> yeah. and Honestly, like, I really... Like, I say this for any game. Like, I think having the option to read um, codex entries or listen to audio diaries and things on an app separate to the game where you're doing other things is an underexplored area of video game storytelling yeah. Yeah. listen does it. to it as a podcast in the bath or something do yeah. you know what I mean rather yeah. than or as like a little radio play sort of snippets with all that cool. in, all that really great incidental writing there's so much potential and I think this is uh, this is this is something they've only ever achieved by accident in the past but there's so much potential for it to be a way to keep your interest in a game alive when you can't be playing it hmm. like kind of you know what I mean like unlock a half hour podcast about the Vex that you can listen to on the way to work you know yeah. what I mean that kind of thing I mean have I it think, in the game as well definitely yeah, but yeah. I still I would defend having it outside as well I remember this came up before and um, is it right that Metal Gear Solid 5 did something like that like yeah that it does it? yeah Metal Gear 5 does exactly that it's just that the app is clunky because I would uh, you know they're always trying to sell me on some kind of uh, app that I have to use while I play the game or I could use while I'm playing the game and mm. I get bonuses and if I do like I don't know if I play the hacking mini game on my phone, I get unlock some more XP in the in the main game or whatever. The one thing I would kind of like that for is um, if there is an audio diary listening app that I can use to listen to audio diaries like podcasts outside of the game. But also, if I have that running while I'm playing the game and I find an audio diary, it's just handled by my phone. So it starts playing there, but my play and pause controls are on my phone 
and then I can just play and pause that independently of the game because they struggle so much with audio diary controls. Like, there's just yeah. they end up wanting to put it on one button, so it's the play last audio diary button. But we talked in the prey pod about how that causes terrible results and also is buggy. Yep. Um, Where's my parcel? That's what happens when I and press L in Prey. It's also so frequent for like, you're in the middle of listening to a podcast and someone starts talking and then they just overlap and uh, you have to like stop the whole game and go to the menus to stop that from happening. I don't think I've ever had that, but I do have problems with things that play on several devices because I was trying to listen to Christmas music on my Spotify downstairs, but because I was on my laptop, for some reason it was then playing on my PC up here, but I didn't realise that until I came up to use my PC and started playing something and I could hear it playing on my laptop downstairs. <laughs> and so I was kind you. of thwarted by, by all of this, this technology. Was, this was last week, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I wanted to listen to Mariah. <laughs> Spotify is amazing at avoiding um, the option you want. Like it always defaults to what you don't want. Like whenever I'm on my main PC, it defaults to playing on my laptop. Whenever I'm on my laptop, it defaults to playing on PC. And like, it doesn't take fucking Sherlock to tell which PC I might want it to play at. It's the one I'm at. You know which one I'm at. It's this one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think that they could still, yeah, like, like you both said do more interesting things although i don't think i would want it to autoplay on a device that i have forgotten where it is yeah it'd have to be running the app so you'd be kind of like opting into it mm. Mm. i'd like to retain the ability to have that stuff outside of the game if i want it short of looking it up on wikis basically i think i, I like that feature but i agree that it, it should be in the game yeah i don't want to be flipping over tiny cards hundreds of them to do it either that's fucking stupid like i mean yeah, do you done. remember how excited people were about the apps that let you meddle with your inventory mm, and it was yeah. because <laughs> the system in the game was so clunky yeah <laughs> yeah there was a flat out power advantage to being able to do that not i mean not in terms of like competitive power but yeah in terms of it was just essentially that people didn't have to hang around waiting while you went into orbit and then went to the tower and then went to your vault and then went yeah. back in again hmm. You can access missions without going into orbit now. I know. Hooray. That looks exciting. Destiny one player ever. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really basic stuff they're fixing. Um, but hopefully it still kind of seems exciting to people who don't know anything about it. Um, because it's a sci-fi shooter. When was the last cool, dedicated kind of shooter, persistent shooter you played? I mean, yeah. Prey was obviously kind of more of an immersive sim. Um, there just aren't many of them. And Destiny's with the amount of kind of money and production values behind it, it's really exciting moving into that area. It's interesting because like, it does feel like the thing you say about this must be this is all of the lessons they learned from the first game. Because mm. by all account, the first game had you know not a, not a you know one of those really problematic production cycles, but it famously had had issues and things like rewriting the story at the last minute. Mm. Even stuff like if they get rid of the stranger and sorry the the exo stranger and the speaker, they will have just quietly done away with some of the hastiest decisions they made about the plot of the first game. Because yeah, yeah. it felt like Destiny One discovered what it was about over the course of a couple of years and a couple of expansions and people's certain characters becoming more popular than others and that kind of thing. I think they didn't know what people would like about the game when yeah. they made it. They just didn't know what people would latch onto and kind of really get into. And so now they've had a chance to double down the stuff people like, which is why you're seeing more of Cade, who's mm. voiced by Nathan Fillion, who's kind of a space cowboy robot uh, with a good sense of humour. And um, the guy voiced by Lance Reddick, who it seems to voice loads of video games now, isn't it? Horizon Zero, Zero Dawn as well. Um, so those characters... Oh, is he, is he Broyles from Fringe? Uh, I don't know. Who is he in Horizon Zero Dawn? Uh, he's the uh, kind of agnostic companion guy who gives you loads of missions that lead you through the block. Yeah, mm. yeah. Boreal's from Fringe. Yeah. He's in um, he's in the, the Wire. wire. Yeah. Yep. yeah, and Zavala. And it's an amazing voice. Yeah. 
Uh, so they've kind of uh, they've realised that people have created all these memes around these characters now, and they're is they've got internet cred in a way. <laughs> so they're, they're kind of doubling down on those. They're going to be kind of the thrust of the new plot, where they're scattered across these planets. You have to kind of go and you know pat them on the back and give, pick them up and send them back into the fight. That's kind of the mm. which is a cool idea. It's character focused rather than big space ball focused which is the problem <laughs> with the original that, like some characters get sidelined like I was sad to see Akora not get much screen time in oh, she like, is, any uh, of the promo stuff yeah she's one of the main she's one of the three though that like she's what? gone to one of the three planets so she, she is but like when I was watching all of the promo material it's so heavily centred around Cade and around Zavala that it was mm. like really and she was just kind of there like in the background for Zavala's speech and it was just like oh have you just not uh, you know, like she then goes off to the spiritual sanctuary and stuff, and I was a bit like, "Oh, okay, so y- you sort of haven't really given her any screen time." And I get why, but at the same time, it's like you could have made her a bit more interesting this time around and made her like cooler. Like, there's different ways of she, addressing that. She gets the best like. moment in the whole opening mission. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I just, I don't feel like she. I feel like she got short shrift mm. in that whole I think, thing. I think she's representative of something that Destiny 1's always struggled with is that because she's the warlock mentor, because each of the three of them mentors one of the classes, yeah. and the warlock mentor and the warlocks generally always bear the most space ball of, of all of the plot characters. You know, all of the characters, like the, all the stuff the warlocks represent, all the stuff they're interested in, all the stuff they do is the most esoteric Destiny's fiction gets. Um, and I think that's an additional burden to bear on top of everything else. So, and yeah, I don't think that excuses them at all. But I think it's um... yeah, she, she struggled because she's um, she's an awesome character. When you actually read her lore, she's basically like operated under the radar as a inter, like interstellar space commando, just going solo with a shotgun from world to world and you know fixing problems quietly for for humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's like the terse badass. But the terse badass doesn't get the cool lines that people then latch onto, and they could mm. still give her cool lines for sure, and they could still give her that screen time to kind of give her a chance to shine. That's, uh, she, that's basically what I'm objecting yeah. to is that they could have done more and they didn't, and it felt like they dropped the ball there. Like, and what they've done feels in keeping with who her character is. So it's not that it's like, oh, you know, this is a tra- travesty. It's more just as a kind of it felt like the easy option and you know I think, highlighting. Uh, yeah, I think I can see that because like also Cade gets Cade has gotten so many hero moments mm. in the first game and it already like yeah. kind of well he's like the bender of the whole thing he isn't is yes he? that's a good way of putting it yeah definitely um, and like and because Zavala is like kind of like the kind of straight up and down military leader mm. he's more of the obvious kind of like stand with me new players I will teach you how yeah. to war he's the guy who gets to say shut up Cade yeah, whenever he's being a dick, mm. they have they actually have an interplay. Whereas Ikora like, really struggles. Yeah, really I mean, because it's, it's, it's kind of their eye rolling on the sidelines and doing the research. Yeah, and doing, like the Getting yeah, she's the she's yeah. the space Scully. Um, <laughs> no, literally, it's Skinner, Mulder, and Scully. Like those are mm. the three. That's the three archetypes of the Vanguard in in Destiny. Mm. Pretty much, punchy dad, um, kind of eccentric, right about everything, guy, and eye rolly magic Scully. Magic Scully, yeah. So she just needs to be more scullied. You yeah, know, she, does she needs to be, to be more. Yeah, kind of, yeah, absolutely. More gif moments. She, she just uh, she jumps onto her spaceship and um, uses magic powers to blow an entire engine off it and then surfs it off screen. <laughs> in the first mission, she does, which yes. is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can so, guess which moment I have watched several <laughs> times. Sorry, if this is a bit inside baseball for people who don't know what Destiny is. Like Tom, do you have any questions about it? Because you're the kind of. No, I think I've asked mine, but most about just like structure stuff. Mm. 
it was interesting. I mean, speaking of inside baseball, it was, it was interesting how much of that presentation was like some of it was obviously here's the big spectacular new game, but a lot of it was given over to discussions about the things they've changed that are super huge deals and super interesting. I think if you're into the first game, but come across as like, why are you talking so long about matchmaking right. for people who aren't? Like, cause I, I remember seeing those uh, discussions on Twitter. There was like, you know, between people who don't play Destiny, basically, people like, God, you know, they're acting like they've invented matchmaking. And it's like, no, they haven't. They're having a really long discussion about the specific way they've decided to do matchmaking for raids because that was the most contentious topic for the entire lifestyle of the original game, which was that um, it didn't let you queue to play a raid with strangers. And it's because they wanted the freedom to design encounters where that required you to be on voice comms with people, but they didn't want to force people into voice... You know what I mean? So they didn't want to create that negative play experience with forcing people to play with strangers while doing something that is designed to be fun if you do it with friends, where you need that level of communication and trust and kind of all involvement. And they've, by all accounts, I'm really impressed with the solution they've come up with for that, mm. which is a, a system that will allow people to form clans and then queue for challenges with their clan... And if you don't have a full team out of your clan, solo people can be matched with your clan, but no other combination of things is possible. So a group can't be matched with another group. Two clans mm-hmm. can't be matched together. And solo players can't be matched with each other. And it's designed so that whenever you're a solo player queuing, you will all, everyone else will know each other mm-hmm. and presumably trust each other. And if you're a clan, you are going to get someone who is there because they want to kind of fit into your system. And I think it's really clever. Like no other MMO I, th- I, I can think of is has done that but it's very kind of um it's a very specific piece of mmo design designed to solve the problems that destiny one had without losing the things that made it so good in the first place and i think i was quite impressed by it but I, during that presentation it was interesting watching the the, the sort of visible boredom spread across the <laughs> right. like god why are they talking about matchmaking it's like it's because this is like the most important thing that the first game didn't get right mm. um, and it's really nice to see them pull that off i think yeah clans as well is a really cool idea obviously mm. there are clans in the first game sort of weren't there yeah it was there more was, of a tag you had and didn't yeah else. pointless but hopefully that they'll turn that into a thing um so yeah it's really exciting uh, i really hope it's dis- release date isn't too far away from the september 8th console release date um though the bungee have not dropped any hints at whether it's going to be weeks or months or what so we'll have to see i'm a bit worried that my friend player base <coughs> is going to fracture horribly and because I had nowhere near as many people on my friends list because I'm I hate voice chat with strangers because mm. partly you know audibly a girl so it's a bit more of a lottery. Um, but I prefer console shooters to PC shooters, mm. and so I I'm worried that if too many of my friends migrate to PC, I won't have the the base on the PS4 to do much mm. apart from sort of solo crucible kind of bits and pieces which is their PvP and then if I go to PC I won't be good enough at it that I can actually raid with people mm. or play with my friends without it just being too much of a disparity so that's a bit of a concern at the moment Yeah that's a, a um, really good point actually, it's a worry I have on PC especially multiplayer where uh, I just don't have a great level of Twitch skill. It's one of the things I really like about Destiny as a pad shooter because it kind of levels the playing field a little mm. bit. Mm. And because a lot of Destiny is about like when you use your super and kind of you know positioning and how you go around corners and stuff like that, a lot of positional stuff rather than Twitch stuff. People who are really good at Twitch can get a lot out of Destiny One, but there's space for people like me there. Whereas I worry that in a PC shooter, where you know 
the the level with mouse and keyboard is going to be so much higher. Uh, just the physiological requirements, I just can't do that stuff. Mm. So if it turns into a, like an elite community, then I'm just not going to be able to do it on PC really. And I enjoy playing Crucible as well. One of the best things about Destiny is that it's kind of it's got to kind of casual drop into whatever you feel like at the time and you kind of play it for an hour and just get a lot of different experiences and it's almost like a variety show um that always gives you a nice a present at the end of it and a bit of leveling up yeah and if a chunk of that is removed by you know the player base being too good then that's a severe blow to the game i mean i don't play csgo at all on pc because i mean obviously it's only on pc but um even though I have loads of friends who will happily play it, I just don't get anything out of it because I'm just not mm. good enough at it and I don't enjoy it. Whereas on um, console, I'll play things solo because it feels like I have more of a, like you were saying, the, the playing field is a bit more leveled and you know it takes out some of those Twitch requirements just because on a pad you can't do them in quite the same way. Mm. And so, yeah, like I will happily while away time on console where i won't on pc and so that's a bit of a concern particularly Mm. if if people do end up gravitating towards the 60 fps like i think it would be at this point i think a miracle for me to play on pc i really i mean there's other things like playing it as soon as possible is is a big thing the other thing (laughs) is that even though they're kind of resetting progress they've said that they're going to carry through there's you know there are things that will carry forward about having been a destiny one player even if it's only likely to be sort of like fringe, sort of achievement-y sort of um, cosmetic stuff. Shaders. Emblems and shaders and things yeah. like that, I imagine. Oh, we blew up the tower except for your weird costume die. Yeah. Your collection of banners survived, <laughs> sir. Um, um, your but, weird butt flag. Yeah, I don't have a butt flag. I have a full flag. Butt flags are for titans. I know. Um, the um, You have a titan, don't you? Uh, yeah, but she's not very high level. No. I'm a one hunter guy, really. Um, but like so I, I like uh, 60 frames per second I'll probably end up getting the PC version to look at to maybe have an alt or something mm. but I also like I've always really appreciated it as a break from the PC game environment and I think it will remain a console game for me to be honest unless they really screw something up but I don't think they will mm. yeah Tom Francis mm. what have you been playing I've been playing two things uh, one is Cave Blazers which is a new uh, there's nothing else to call it but a Spelunky like <laughs> it's extremely close to Spelunky um, it is a side-on platformer with uh, randomly generated levels uh, that starts in a brown kind of mine type environment just like Spelunky uh, the differences are that it's um, the main one is like you have a melee attack that's with a sword that's a bit like Splunky's whip, but then you also have a ranged attack which is just a bow with infinite arrow that you can um, fire like you know, three times a second. Um, and on pad, you move with a left stick and then right stick, just whatever direction you you push it in, you fire in that direction. Actually, it's kind of snapped to forty five degrees, so you can only fire like directly up, across, or or diagonally. Um, uh, but yeah, infinite ammo, no kind of like reload time, so you can just spew out damage uh, like that. And then the other differences are like it's much more forgiving in lots of ways. It's still difficult, but like on my first ever play of it, I got to a boss and defeated it and moved on to the next like world, which is certainly not true in Splunky. <laughs> um, very few things insta kill. There are spikes, which I think are insta kill. I've died every time I've fallen on spikes, but they're really easy to avoid. They're very few very rarely any jumping puzzles 
uh, with those. There's an enemy that explodes on you, and I swear it does like 10 damage out of your 100 health pool. <laughs> um, it's really not that big a deal. Um, enemies don't hurt you when you touch them, so enemies have to actually do an attack on you uh, in order to damage you, so you can just run straight through enemies. Um, and uh, it actually feels, the combat feels a lot more like combat. It feels like a, there's an actual mm. fighting system here. Um, and which enemy you're fighting depends on, uh, determines like their attack pattern and how you have to deal with those. And then it's just got a huge, crazy amount of stuff to give you. There's, you get items from crates like you do in Spelunky, but they'll be like, um, uh, they're just like three or four of those on every little level of a level. Um, uh, the levels, it's, I was going to say per level, but that's not a fair comparison because the levels are about four times as big as Spelunky's. Um, but yeah, you're just getting a constant stream of stuff and they're able to do that because the stuff is not like Spelunky. Every new item is a sort of fundamental change to your ability set. Um, whereas here, you'll f you start with a, like a, an iron sword and you can find like a butcher's sword and that's twice as much damage, but you take 25% more damage from enemies. Or there's a dragon sword, which is... Um, generally better and on a third strike it'll do amazing damage and knock back um or i had like a holy cross type thing which every two enemies i kill my maximum health goes up by one point uh which is really cool and then you also find uh new ranged weapons i just found like a gatling gun recently which is fucking amazing i think it's sort of almost the equivalent of the shotgun in splunky because it's wildly powerful but it knocks you back while you're using it and it also, you can only jump to half your normal height, <laughs> which is a huge problem. Uh, but you also have an inventory. So if you uh, are picking up all these interesting things, you can just store them in there. And, uh, you know, if you want to be able to jump at full height again, put your Gatling gun away and put something else in that slot. Uh, you can also have w rings with passive buffs. And you also have an, a magic item where, like, one of them is just, like, an, any amulet will go in that slot. And that gives you passive buffs usually. Um, but then there's ones like a skull that follows you around and every so often you can activate it and when you activate it it'll shoot for you for a while um i got one that's like a ball and chain swinging around me at all times and it just constantly damages any enemies that come within that and so that ends up feeling like risk of rain a risk of rain just kind of showered these items on you all mm -hmm. the time and your build ended up being not like which of these three do i use but like okay i've got 28 and here are the 28 i found on this playthrough and these will stack in interesting ways um and actually, like Risk of Rain, I think if you get two of... No, if you get two of the same thing, they're just separate inventory items and nothing special happens, but they have altars, just like Spelunky, but instead of uh, sort of offering things to the gods and getting weird rewards, um, you altars only do something if you put two of the same item on it, and then it becomes a more powerful version of the same item. So I think I put, like, two emerald rings on it, and an emerald ring is something that makes you better at archery, and then I got, like, a perfect emerald ring and that may be way better at archery and those differences um really do stack up like it's if you find the right items like on level one by level two you can be really powerful um there's a little bit of persistent progress to it so you can unlock uh actually i think these might be uh, maybe they're just unlocked by levels so you have a sort of xp bar like when you die it'll tell you how many points you earned in that life and then you you sort of level up overall and you unlock a lot of cosmetic things and then you also unlock perks and the default perk you start with is adventurer which means you start with two bombs and an apple <laughs> um but then i unlocked the archery uh, or archer perk and that makes my arrows travel faster and my attack speed 10 percent faster with a bow and i think plus one range damage and minus two melee damage 
Um, and that's the one I've kind of stuck with. Um, and that means I don't get the bombs and I don't get the apple. Uh, so you just start with an empty inventory. Um, and a lot of those, those seem split between like different play styles and then a lot of them seem like they're just challenges. They're like, this one just fucking sucks, frankly. <laughs> it's just, like FTL. Yeah. Um, those come pretty thick and fast as well. I've got like four or five of those and I've only played probably, you know, no more than two hours in total. Um, but it does, it feels like it gets hard pretty fast. Um, at first it's way easier than Splunky. It's way more forgiving in general. I don't think there's even fall damage. I've never taken damage from, from mm. falling. Uh, you also find um, companions like all the time. There'll be sort of one or two of those per level and they'll just run around and join you and go out and attack enemies and it's much more ad hoc like it's it's less of a in Splunky I was kind of terrified of companions because it's so volatile and it's so uh, life and death like every situation has to go perfectly or you're dead and the companions are just too unpredictable for that here it's much more kind of wishy-washy there'll, there'll be a bunch of orcs with battle axes and your guy will, your friend will just run into them and just attack them for a while and um, maybe you'll get himself killed but it doesn't really matter uh, and if you soften them up then that's good for you um and so yeah like the combat feels much more like combat it's really slick too like the uh just feels nice um in a way that i think it's so close to splunky in so many ways that it would be i I would be pretty critical of it if it wasn't really good at what it did it's it feels like everything every difference it makes from splunky uh has some thought behind it and Mm. ties together well and it also it's kind of um makes me happy because i remember particularly early on in my time with Spelunky, I kept thinking like, fuck, it doesn't need to be this punishing. Like, I swear to God, it would still be just as good if they could just, like, if arrows didn't do two damage. <laughs> like, the hardest thing to see coming uh, takes off half your health. Um, and, yeah, I kept thinking that like, every game could be more forgiving, it would still be good. And this game is more forgiving, and it is still great. What was it called? Cave Blazers. Cave Blazers. Okay. It sounds cool. rad. I love the idea of a kind of more gear-focused take on Spelunky that isn't yeah. quite as punishing. Yeah, really and it's just, I, I feel more um, like each life has, uh, it's much more likely that a given life will find something interestingly different. Whereas Blunky, like when you do find a jetpack, it's a huge deal, but you find a jetpack one every hundred runs, maybe. Um, well, uh, like a jetpack in the mines would be at one every hundred runs. Uh, if you get far enough in Splunky, then yes, you'll find some stuff that makes your playthrough different. But the mind is going to be pretty much the same every time to some extent. Hmm. Um, whereas this level one always gives you like, you know, five or six items and that, that there's such a big pool of those that those are usually different every time. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of items that are, that just make really interesting combinations and the cool to find. It also has a daily challenge like Splunky. Um, although my one attempt to record that, uh, one of the modifiers it like as well as just being randomized in general it adds some modifiers you don't get to choose your perks so it gives you some perks and then also um we'll just uh, add things like today you get slower movement speed and there's more enemies and something else and the more enemies thing turns out to not to be kidding like there's more than twice as many enemies and they're taken from later in the game so that it's just absolutely brutal how did that go then uh, I lasted like a minute and a half. <laughs> I, I die because it's also like the first one I'd done. I was trying to explain the game and I was looking at my inventory and explaining that it had an inventory. And while that happened, an enemy I've never seen before flew up to where I was. And uh, just as I came out of the inventory, I think it started to attack me or something, or I saw it and I got out of the inventory. And uh, that was when it, it spat like 20 fireballs at me and killed me in one hit. 
and that's a fire bat I guess I haven't seen those before but they exist speaking of fire bats ah that's a hell of a segue <laughs> yeah uh, I've also been playing Legacy of the Void Starcraft 2 yep mm. the, the last campaign uh, which was the Protoss one um, Pip looks I, confused well I thought you were going to say speaking of which I've been playing fire bats fire bats are a Terran unit in Starcraft mm. yeah mm. <laughs> they are there's no getting around that I remembered this when when I was thinking about it, but that was the face that made me look confused. It was the thinking. Oh, face. I see. Mm. I see. <laughs> Sorry. Do go on. Uh, I've been. I'm actually playing this because I've watched a bunch of um, pro StarCraft lately, and uh, two things kind of made me especially keen to go back to it. One was um, uh, are they called disruptors? Protoss ground unit that fires yeah. like a big ball of damage. The Those, one kind of is a ball. But yeah, it's a ball and it fires balls. <laughs> it's a very ball-based concept. Um, and those are brilliant uh, fodder for like um, tense moments in pro matches because uh, it's a targeted ability that you have to sort of aim at a location and it takes a while to reach that location, moves pretty slowly. Um, but I think I'm right saying like the enemy doesn't know where it's going to land. They can see it coming, but they don't know where it's going to stop and it does a huge amount of splash damage. because it's not... It's not a projectile, it is the unit. Like the unit turns, oh, it turns, in, into, it turns into an energy form and moves. And then when it, when, it, when it leaves its energy form, it basically telefrags anything it's on. Ah. So you, yeah, it's, it's, that's why I sort of, for you were talking about, yeah. So the disruptor like turns into a ball, turns into an energy, it's, it's a small golden ball. It turns into an energy ball and then it can phase through units. And then when it's, if it turns back into a ball while it's on something, then it. Do you have to commit to where it's going to do that? when you fire it or do, can you, you, do you that? still move it so you move it like you would any other unit as it's running around okay so you're just sort of charging in like a bailing almost yeah huh so that's one of the reasons i wanted to play this because i kept seeing these units being used in really cool ways and i was like i wonder how that actually works um uh and also did they change void rays because i just the commentators are talking about like turning on void rays and when i last played void rays had to be charged up you had to just shoot some stuff for a long time and then they became did powerful. they change void rays there was a big thing about like some pro player like you Char- no, turned on his void rays on a zealot and that was like well, what are the like why would he do that and then i was like I yeah they, I, mean. I think they have a toggled damage amp i don't know if they still right. charge up yeah that would mm. th- that would explain it it seems like something that was a waste basically um so yeah i just ended up realizing like oh, i don't really know how starcraft works anymore i really want to play these things and also i've really enjoyed the i've always got something out of the single player campaigns they often have missions that feel like bullshit to me um but I really like that long-term progression thing where you unlock new mutations yeah, yeah, for your units, great. like mm, uh, different variants. And uh, I remember you saying, Chris, that the Protoss campaign, you unlock those variants, but also you can switch them at any time. So you yeah. just go back and forth. Um, and that's already come up, actually. Um, there's a mission in there. For the most part, I'm finding these um, missions uh, a lot closer to sort of real games than some of the stuff I remember particularly the Terran campaign was all kind of special one shot things of like there's yeah. a train and you must use this unit and uh, whereas this is much more um, there's an enemy force and you're going to have to uh, defend against it or attack it and there's one where you, you're really early on it has a mission that feels like the final mission of the campaign where you have to hold out against the oncoming waves of Zerg for um, uh, until I still I've skipped all the cutscenes, so I don't know the context of any of my actions, but there's a ticker of how many Zerg are on the planet. You're missing out on some of the worst dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> it's I have so little patience for exactly what this is. It's almost like I think 
like blizzard stuff in general is the kind of lore i usually don't like that much and then also the protoss is like the zenith of that it's like the most prophecy laden reverse echo mm. self-serious old-timey speak <laughs> oh, I, I love it it's so bad it's like <laughs> the amount of like fake shakespearean space nonsense whiffled by people who don't even have mouths <laughs> It's that, just Blizzard, though, isn't it? It's, yeah, it, I mean, no, but I mean, but Tom's right. Like specifically, the Protoss, like above, above and beyond all other Blizzard lore. Oh wow! Like <laughs> they speak some real bollocks. It's so, great. It's so I've been good. skipping all that, so I don't know what my last stand was about. But there was a ticker that said like how many Zerg are on the planet, and it said hold out for one billion Zerg. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I can hold out for one billion Zerg, sure. And then that was my main objective, and I did that, and then they like there's always a bonus objective and that gets you some resource that you can spend on upgrading your I don't know um, special abilities and the uh, option objective was hold out for 1.5 billion zerg <laughs> and to be honest my defense was falling apart right around the 1 billion zerg mark and I uh, got overrun by ultralisks and stuff and I actually I thought I had to kind of manually end the mission otherwise it would be a failure and I I didn't know what the failure condition was exactly. It turns out it's losing your nexus, and I lost my nexus, but actually that just goes to the victory condition because yeah. I, I had passed the, mm. the victory thing. But then afterwards, I thought about... Um, I'd use stalkers. Stalkers are... Actually, one of the things I was excited to do was... Because um, I never really played Protoss and Starcraft before. Um, and one of the things I love watching in pro games is when you have a big cluster of stalkers, which are uh, kind of robotic walkers that have a ranged attack. They're not that powerful on their own, but the great thing about them is they can blink, which is short-range teleport. And the great thing about that specifically is with any other range unit, if you tell them all to attack something, the first ones who get in range will stop and then the other ones will kind of queue up behind them. They'll try and form like a concave around it and eventually you'll get all your things attacking. But it takes a long time for everyone to get into position. And if you can teleport everyone to uh, not just like within range, but sort of right on top of the thing, then all of them are in range instantaneously and they all hit with their first shot. And so you can just one-shot all these different things and I was having great fun doing that just having like 25 stalkers and blinking them all into the same thing so that they instantaneously destroy it mm. um, and so I didn't even when you finish the stalker mission it gives you a new variant of the stalker that's like uh, slower and tougher and longer range and more damage but it can't blink and so I was like I don't care about that and I, that, that last stand mission and I failed the bonus objective and then afterwards I thought huh actually I didn't really micro my units there like my my the limiting factor on my success was that I just couldn't handle managing my base and multiple um, defending on multiple front fronts. So I ended up not marking my units, leaving them where they are, building their turrets, and that was the right way to go. But I hadn't gone that far in that direction, and so um, I got picked apart. And I thought I bet I could do that again, but with the other kind of stalker where I don't have to micro them and they're just tough um, and just mass those. And so I actually loaded an older save and, and did that. Um, and it worked amazingly well and it was really cool just to like shift into I'm like you know uh, I have 1% of the brain power of the pro Starcraft players so I can't do uh, even at my basic level I can't do both micro and macro in the same game it's just I've got to pick one <laughs> either I'm going to have a small group of units and control them well or I'm going to mass units and not control them at all <laughs> like they'll just stand wherever I send the order and so I just did I just focused on my base and building enough probes and getting a second base and uh, uh, I had a natural for the, my, my first time ever um, and yeah just getting a really good economy and then spending all that on units that just stood still <laughs> I just like put them all like, there's four different entrances to your base so I just massed them in four different locations and built like 
six of the ultra turrets that they give you in that mission um and yeah completely aced it and uh, uh easily did the bonus objective so i really like that thing of um switching in different unit types um and yeah i'm excited to unlock more I'm excited to see what you make of the story if you continue to skip cutscenes all the way through. Because that thing Probably is not, not going to stop escalating. <laughs> and I think the things you're doing will make no sense to you. Like, why am I this faction now? Like, it's going to, yeah. I don't know if I should recommend you actually watch them because no one really should. But it I is really, amazing nonsense. Every time anyone starts to speak, I cringe at the reverse echo filter. <laughs> it's such a corny, like, boring thing. You just don't want to hear someone say the phrase. Uh, I remember I did that box out for my review of the game for PC Gamer, which was like, which of these things aren't isn't a protest a protest war, word, and the one that wasn't a protest word was there for Pip's benefit because it was Paul Danan. Mm. It sounds a lot like it a protest like word. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, I think I love nonsense too much to skip those cutscenes. <laughs> yeah, but you'll remember it all as well, and then yeah. it'll come up in like I don't know some law challenge. I, I, and... I, yeah, <laughs> for some reason I know what a lot of those process words mean, which is so just <laughs> the worst. I don't know why I know that, but I do. Wow. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I know what Antaro Tassada means, and I wish I didn't. <laughs> yeah, but you're kind of proud of it. That was a humble brag. It was a humble brag. Right. Yeah, it's like it's like it was an <laughs> excellent fart. That's like mm. it's like no one wins. And I don't Least expect everyone to think less of me. Us. Yeah, indeed. What I'm does glad you're it mean, it, then? It means in memory of Tassadar. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. What was the word? Antaro Tassadar. I think it's in the memory of Tassadar. Well, a guy who dies. Just, right. Well, then, I mean, at least one of those things is a proper noun. That's so. true. Well, I like big nouns. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> and Ugh. I wish I hadn't even brought this up. Um, Ugh. But no, I'm glad you're enjoying it, Tom, because it is a really solid... I think it's the best of the StarCraft campaigns, nonsense yeah. notwithstanding. It's a good time. And yeah, and it's super long as well. Like, you are... Really? Yeah. <laughs> they just keep going. I said this guy... Oh, yeah, because I... So I've unlocked two options for all the units I've got so far, and I've got, like, four or five units. Uh, but there's a sort of third option that's yeah. going to grade out. So I'm going to get, like, twice as many units and also another option for all of these. Yes. Cool. Yeah, and you'll get all of that. You'll get that third option. Oh, course. yeah. Also, I just unlocked sentries, and I was interested to do that because I, I see them used in pro games a lot. That's sort of a super important thing in, in Protoss. Um, and neither of the variants I have can make force fields, which is like their whole role in the oh, yeah. pro scene, which is super weird. I'm almost glad because I, and I think this is why they, they don't do it, is because that just requires insane micro. Like, actually- there's situations where it's, where it's really critical, like in a big mass army battle. You have to really know what you're doing to place them right, I think. You do. However, spamming, I used to be a protest player, spamming sentry force field is actually really fun, regardless. <laughs> like, because you just have to, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's on F. Um, but you just have to kind of like spam F click, F click, F click. Yeah. And like a kind of little line and you can just create this, you can just draw with them. Really yeah, nice. when you see pros doing it, you would think they all appear at, this, at once. Like there's no delay between yeah, that's one nuts. chunk and the next. I can achieve, I can achieve like a kind of, you know, piano sweep kind of like <laughs> effect um not the full kind of crazy pro precision thing but no one can do that <laughs> apart from like the 13 people on the planet who can yep pip you're looking at me with withering scorn is it the tassadar thing i do apologize <laughs> no 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 you're still remembering tassadar no i think about tassadar i was i had i wasn't thinking 
about any of this. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I couldn't think of a lie fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, someone doesn't remember Tassadar. Well, I mean, I no would if sh- I knew what he or she did. I can't. Flew a big spaceship into the Overmind thing. That's in really Starcraft your one. thing, not mine. It was a big god spaceship did something. I don't know why light. they need to tell you in Protoss language that you should remember Tassadar. You're like not going of, to forget. Tassadar. I think it's. I think it's remember. I think it's. It's meant to be. It's, they say it all the time. Don't care. Yeah, and I didn't think you would. <laughs> Stuck in my head for years. Mm. I think it's because it's one of the barks when you're I played so much multiplayer Starcraft that those barks are stuck in my head forever now. So that's maybe an excuse. It's not an excuse, but I said it anyway. What have you been playing, Pip? Mm? <laughs> Video games. Okay, yes. No, it stopped being StarCraft, has yes. it? Yes. Well, it can. It can. <laughs> no. Tom, did you have anything <laughs> else to say about it? can be I've got a, one of my variants for Dark Templars, who are permanently invisible, are also immortal. <laughs> they just spawn back at base when they die. That's it. <laughs> Reasonable. No, that sounds interesting. What's a Dark Templar? Well, <laughs> Do you really I want think to you'll find... <laughs> I want to know what Tom thinks they are. Uh, okay, they're invisible men with swords. Okay, with Chris, s- does fists. his story check out? Yes, they're... For, oh, God, I don't want to get into this. Sometimes... Yeah, you know, don't you? You, do. you know think, all the I think, secret I think their I think their dumb name is Taldarim. <laughs> I think, unless that's a Diablo thing. One of them is Taldarim, I believe. There are two, like, temples of... Starcraft thought, and there is the, the there is the, and yet there's no space blip. in there for remembering to take your hay fever p- pills. P- mm. Pills, mm. yeah, no, no, indeed. Well, that's because if I don't f- forgetting to, if um, you don't remember Tassadar, then what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, take two Tassadar every day. <laughs> exactly. Be free of hay remember fever. antihistamines. <laughs> that kind of fits because he he sacrifices himself to feed his himself to a giant, basically snotty mouth. Um, <laughs> Is this spoilers for Tom? No, <laughs> spoilers for it's not Star, so, spoilers for Starcraft Brood War. <laughs> mm, that's early. That is. That's yeah. the first one. Don't know. I just like I love this stuff because it's so dumb. But I don't know if that's a worthy use of my time, or brain, or memory, or. Yet here we are. And yet here we are. <laughs> um, Pip. Yes. What have you been playing? I've been 2? playing Dota Two. Have <laughs> <laughs> I? Mm, but badly, because quite frankly, everyone was so excited when they announced all of the changes that they were going to make with Dota 7.0. And then they bloody changed everything. And now I don't know what's going on because it's like, well, I mean, there was 2000 hours down the drain all instantly because now everything's in a different place and it's been in a different place for months now and I still haven't got used to it. It's like when you go home and they've like renovated the car park and everything's in a like Wittards isn't there anymore and you just uh, everything's in disarray it's that earth shaking <laughs> it's like they're not being a Wittards anymore well you know and you can't orient yourself that was the most pip properly. shot you could have yes well but you know what I mean and now there's like all all kinds of things and I where forget where do I buy my fancy tea yeah well exactly and also they've got like that rune that I still can't remember what it is or what it does the arcane rune yes that's been and the then, game for like much longer I know <laughs> But I still haven't, like, my brain is just stuck about, like, 1,500 hours in. And now uh, it has refused to learn more things, especially where new staircases are and where, like, Rashan lives now. He's moved. <laughs> that, that's that been a while, but still, where the hell is he? We're over here. Shall we do Rashan? No, he's at the other end of the river. It's, oh, it's a nightmare. Would you say he's gone up or down the property ladder? 
Uh, well, he's gone upstream. So I assume... Well, it depends Still a riverside whether, property. So it depends whether you think that being upstream is desirable for him in that he wouldn't encounter presumably hero blood being washed down. <laughs> but he also then presumably wouldn't encounter hero treasure being washed down. Mm-hmm. So I guess it depends where you fall on the scavenger Or maybe he gets first spectrum. pick on the hero treasure. Exactly. Washes from other maps. He is so, in a fully detached cave now, or he's only in a semi-detached <laughs> cave before end of terrace true, cave. That's true, although... It it's now got water all around it, so there's probably a damp problem. That's true. But then again, the water isn't coming at the front door. It's going, like, behind and yeah. away from the I think his door. I think That's his nice. water problem is actually a lot, wor- a lot better than it was. Really? Does yeah. he still... It might not have ever been true, but does he still drop a cheese or a shield? He still drops a cheese if you've killed him several times, and he drops a... Um... He drops cheese a lot sooner now, actually. <laughs> oh, well, fine. But he also drops the Aegis still. That's still his thing. Right. Which, you know, fine. I'm not sure if it's a shield or a magic gem that lives in his brain. I think uh, it's a magic well, gem that lives in his brain. Well, an Aegis is a shield, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's more of a... It's a. It's like a, you know, abstract name. Well, I mean, yeah, but you've got one on your wall. That's the Aegis of Champions. The Aegis of the Immortal is the other one. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. You're a nerd. I but anyway, I just... It's such a weird thing because I've spent so much time in Dota and I still, like, at this point, I just feel like it, it's not anything that I can even recognise wow. when I play. Like, I can, I can do it when I watch because I'm not also trying to play. It's not sort of also messing with my spatial memory. It's mm. just a sort of, oh, get your brain in gear for talent trees and things. But when I'm physically on the map, I'm so disoriented and, like, even, like, items that were introduced many patches ago now still feel weird and new. Like, there's the Octarine core and I still don't get it. And it's that weird thing of I spent so long on this game and I still <laughs> have nothing to show for it. <laughs> and that's such a, Exactly. It's such a strange feeling. And a lot of the things that I had mastered were sort of pretty basic housekeeping things that they then folded into the bits that make it a bit easier for people to onboard with and I'm a bit resentful of this because I was like well those are the bits that I'd got I haven't got the other bits God's that sake. was a life skill until now I know and now it's just oh well that's taken as red let's do the other bits and I'm like well <laughs> so you say yeah this, uh, like a lot of people had this with TF2 where they um, they started adding so many items so fast that Anyone who took a break from it came back and was just like, what the fuck is going on? This guy's a milkman now? I'm covered in piss for some reason? <laughs> is that what they've added to Dota? <laughs> Pretty much. Games as a service is a bit of bad direction, I think, for the industry. <laughs> just hearing just the, the miseries you've all gone through with these games where just the, the rug coming out from under your feet, reality is different now. And you know. I think... Um, I think You have it a little bit with Destiny in that like, if true. they rebalance some of the guns and you're suddenly like, why is this not working anymore? Yeah, I've not Side quite had good now, Tom. Hard Light was always crap and that's the gun I was in love with. And it's still <laughs> terrible. Because mm. anyway. it fires Hard Light. Oh, it's so, it, it makes such pretty, shooty patterns. <laughs> I like it. Um, anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Dota, like, it's more that, like, if you go, if you leave it for any length of time, the ways it changes are so kind of epochal. Like, it goes through epochs, as, as I'm, you know, as that means. Like, well and, rephrased. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> You can probably miss one, but not two in a row, and then otherwise you're basically well, the thing is, once you've missed two, you might as well miss seven. Yeah. Because I mean, 
Yes, exactly. That's the thing. Like that's that's when you're in full like oh different game like. But I think it's one of those frustrating things where it for uh, league feels more contained, and that's that can be both a blessing and a curse because it's sort of far more dictated by the whims of the company that makes it, whereas mm. Dota is sort of an exercise in, well, let's see what happens. Um, sort of, you know, obviously there's immense skill to that, but, you know, it's it, it feels a fair amount more freewheeling and several different strategies can exist at once and um, there's a lot more flexibility within everything. But it's also, it, it that makes it this unknowable thing that I've never been able to slot as comfortably into my brain because it requires too many moving parts when I'm also trying to do you know um RTS stuff that I'm that I wasn't brought up with and so it's and hot bar things that I can't do and that micro versus macro Hmm. like oh god um (laughs) and so yeah like it's this really weird um thing where it just seems to be snowballing away from me every time I boot it up which is a strange feeling given it monopolized so much of my life to feel like I yeah to feel like you don't have anything to show for it is weird yeah it's weird because if it was like a single player game like a Skyrim or something I mean Skyrim's not very skill based but something you skill based that you'd sunk hundreds of hours into you would sort of always be able to go back to it, like even five years later. Even if they had patched it, you could probably yeah. get the version that you used to play. Whereas with a purely multiplayer game, it's sort of lost forever. The I have an old versions. version, like an old, old version um, on my laptop that I will not update. Oh, right. So it's you can so play it old. Offline, I see. Yeah. And um, it's just a really weird sort of exercise in history almost. <laughs> you boot it up and you've got like item costs and items that don't even exist anymore and heroes that aren't going by that name anymore because <laughs> copyright and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, which is super interesting to me. But obviously I can't play it as a game. Yeah. So, weirdly, um, not quite PC games related, but I've been playing Netrunner recently, a card game. Mm. Um but like Netrunner has just grown and grown and grown and it's like knowledge built on previous knowledge for the whole thing. So it's kind of expanded and expanded and expanded. Um, so that's like an impenetrable mess, which is what Dota is to me, really. Um, I've resolutely refused to um, upgrade from the vanilla set. So because exactly. I'm just like, I'm not engaging no, with this nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Which, is the, <laughs> which was a beautiful uh, freedom. So me and my friend just rolled it back and we picked just the core set and a couple of expansions. Yeah. And that's almost like the, the meta we live in now. And there's enough complexity and balance in that meta to, you know, keep us going for years. And we never need to leave our cave on the mountain where we just play Netrunner from like five years ago and no one could stop us. But it is sad that video games don't have that, that there aren't kind of legacy communities and stuff like that. Or it's no there space are, for but they sort of, it's that weird thing where you're often in conflict with the developers and like art right, rights and IP and stuff. Yeah. yeah, well, the Nostalrius would be the you know the case in point right mm. now, but also just the fact that if you connect, it will start auto patching right. or you know all of that kind of stuff. Or it's or if you want to play a tournament, you know, to have any sort of recognition from them, you'll have to have the latest version. Mm. You know that kind of thing. Um, and stuff like, yeah, like Call of Duty won't sanction anything that isn't 
the, that year's release will it so you yeah. don't end up with anything like you know the fact that people are still playing source counter-strike Source. you know it's you'll never have that with call of duty because they just won't acknowledge that any of the <laughs> other ones exist which is true of netrunner as well like if i show up with like i guess you can go in with a corset or whatever and do your yeah, best you behind the method you're just not mm. going to stand a chance really and i suppose you would be recognized but, Chris, uh, you could do that with your um with your X-wing stuff at uh, Games Expo. You could just go with like the core set, wave one or wave two stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, go with a set of Netrunner cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take Tom. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Although, yeah, our friends are going to do the Netrunner European Championships the same weekend. So, mm. yeah. oh. Could just go do that instead. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of games have this. Like, mm. you know, it's funny you mention X-wing because uh, obviously venturing off off piece completely, but. They just announced a expansion today uh, for X Wing, which is the first time I've rather than go like, oh, that's interesting. I've gone, oh, for God's sake! Yeah. And <laughs> like, <Scamaces>, woo. <laughs> yeah, like the, it was like this was the last thing the game needed, and it's that thing of like maybe I do want to just play with what I've got, you know, and sort of the, uh, gently retire from competitive. The uh, faction I've really casually bought into has become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I don't even play it <laughs> more powerful than it definitely should be. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, it's such a dumb idea. Anyway, but yeah, like I would say, I think sometimes when these changes happen to games, they can give the impression of undoing all of that work. But actually, the reality is that they are often a few surface level things that need to get relearned, and loads still does apply. Like I found that with Dota, like a lot has changed. Like an extraordinary amount has changed, even by the standards of Dota patch, and that's that's definitely true. However. Once I got used to it, which took like a week, I felt like it was still Dota and the things that I knew how to do from Dota were still... Yeah, but the things that you knew how to do from Dota are very different from the things that I knew how to do from Dota because, you know, it's things like, as a support, the warding spots are really important and I still don't feel like I have a... Yeah, there are you. A handle on that stuff. kind of thing, and you know, when you would pick up the um, bounty runes and things like that. But also, I think that um, I, it, I, you have maybe a similar amount of time to dedicate to Dota that you used to, and I just don't have that anymore. Mm. And so, because my work schedule has changed, and I'm no longer like existing mostly online with my friends and so i sort of don't have that 2000 hours to pour into it i think if i did and wanted to (coughs) it would be very different but i think it's that thing if i it it won't get the same amount of effort of trying to learn it Mm. and so it's it's just not easy to to drop into yeah it is super interesting i think how the changes they've made to make the game easier to get into have the effect of making it harder to get back into if you knew it in its previous iteration which is sort of an interesting trade-off for them to have made mm. like the fact that you know they've um things like stacking pulling warding even they've made far far less of a burden on new players than they were when we started playing uh in terms of what supports are expected to do it's a, it's a lot easier but that comes at the expense of all that learned knowledge of how to do it the old way, basically. Mm. And that's just kind of an interesting, interesting thing, I think. Yeah. So I see why they've made the changes they've made, but there's no getting around the fact that, yeah, it's alienating. It has obliterated my knowledge of, like, in-game timings and things, and I just don't have the will to 
to relearn it mm. or to learn it in a new format. So, meh. <laughs> in meh. conclusion. I mean, like, you know, I'll still happily spend some time with friends in it, but I, I, it, I don't feel like I'm experimenting. I don't feel like it's anything other than a, a sort of skeleton on which to hang a conversation. Mm. Mm. Whereas I like to think of it as a sort of endless misery box that is also the best game ever made <laughs> <laughs> what have you uh, been playing Chris uh, just the endless misery box no, 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 no. <laughs> that is also the best game ever made Okay. Uh, I don't really have much to add to be honest I mean, I, 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 I suppose I've returned to it after a long absence the longest absence I've ever taken from it um, and it's still the game it was in its core it's, it's interesting the ways that it's different um, I like the things they've built around it um, it's got you know, Valve have done a lot to build a better interface around Dota and more interesting ways of planning games and sort of engaging with people and that kind of thing. And and the, the sort of the comforting thing, talking about so much about change, the comforting thing is how much doesn't change. Like there are so much better, so many better tools now for organizing your team at the beginning of matches and organizing co team compositions and trying to strategize with strangers. And you even see the effects of it. People do strategize more. Uh, they do talk more, but they are still assholes who are angry at everybody most of the time. And when you get people who aren't, it's a miracle. Well, it's like what Tom said earlier about raids that are exercises in multiple leadership, you know? <laughs> mm. That's Dota. That's, yeah. you know, five people who all want to be in charge and don't <laughs> like what the other people are doing, and then... Yeah, and it's, it's funny, because, like, I find that... I still find that philosophically fascinating. I still find it personally really interesting. I still love the game to pieces as a game, but... I've definitely got less patience for it now than I used to because I mean I used to literally be able to absorb that stuff and then put out a 1500 word column about it once a week because mm. my enthusiasm for it was so great it transcended simply bearing with the shit and actually sort of processing it into something and now I don't think I have that in me anymore really like well, I, I'm too busy trying to stop the snails and the slugs from eating our irises indeed yeah who's so, the time you know like I'm pushing back my own waves of creeps so, you know, <laughs> nice. like constantly <laughs> Making um, friends with the birds by picking out all the snails for them. Yeah. You know. I mean, they've made some very me changes to Dota. They've added audio emotes, um, which include a little uh, charge horn that goes... Da -da 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 -da, and a sad trombone and a drum roll and a round of applause, a sarcastic round of applause. And uh, that's, I love that. That's great. I love that in a world where more and more games companies are seeing about how they can try and encourage more positive uh, communication between players, Valve just added the sarcastic clapping to Dota. Um, it, it feels like they're trying to re replace abuse with memes, um, which is probably progress hmm. on the whole. My um, chat wheel is set to frog. <laughs> just goes ribbit. Mm. Mm, yeah, mm. there's one of them that's just ribbit. I've muted you after you spammed the um, charge remote one yeah. too many times. It, it does. It does give you a cooldown timer on it after a while. It does tell you <laughs> you charge is enough, sir. Well, enough. what I haven't done is played Undying yet because I used to spam the disco remote for him where he'd spin around and moonwalk, and then the disco ball would come down, and then I can spam that and the charge emote. <laughs> I love this game so much. <laughs> You're so part much. of the problem. I know, um, but at least I'm nice. The um, yeah, so it's great. Like, it, it, but I I don't have. I don't know. It's just sort of. I think uh, my my tastes in my life have changed in other ways. Like the miniature stuff that I've gone into in, in the years since Dota was my like life obsession, um, mean that I've got a different level of tolerance for 
feeling like my time's being wasted I think and that's been made mm. Dota on the scale I used to play at harder to, mm. to reconcile but still you're right you did find something else to throw money at I did yeah <laughs> well I mean yes I have spent a lot less on Dota hats mm. <laughs> yes indeed although you know there is that under the sea terrain. I know I can't cope it's so annoying I really don't play the game anymore <laughs> and yet there's a thing that I can spend a lot of money on to just get under the sea terrain and it's so annoying it's <laughs> a skin where Nick's, Nick's assassin is a lovely crab I know and I don't even play him I can't even play him I don't understand him <laughs> oh, but he's a crab now crab. <laughs> oh I know and there's another character that I don't even play that looks like an octopus. <laughs> oh, this is the worst. Dota. It's the worst. Yeah. And the best. Uh, there was a perhaps. TF2 hat that sold for $14,000 recently. What? What Why? was it? Uh, it's an unusual team captain's hat. And, <laughs> uh, sounds suspicious. Unusual is the rarity where it has some special effect on it, like some particle effect or something. And mm. like 1% of crates have that. Crates cost $2.50 to open, so it's like $250 basically to get one of those on average. Um, and then the flame effect is the rarest one of the unusual ones. Um, and this has that. And then also the team captain hat is the most desired one, or one of the most desirable ones, um, because three different classes can wear it. All the other ones, apparently, that you get unusual effects on are class-specific, mm. so they're no good if you are like if you find a spy one and you don't play spy, then it's less useful to you. So this one can be worn by three different classes. To be I fair, suppose... I'm not sure how useful a flaming hat is to a spy. <laughs> <laughs> useful is maybe not the right word. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't do what they did in Dota with that, because Dota used to have cosmetics that would sell for like crazy amounts of money, but then they divorced the particle effects and all of the other shenanigans from the thing, so you mm. could like plug it into sockets, and so it wasn't special anymore or as special you mm. know because you could recreate it if you had all of the right gems and things to sock it into the item so it surprises me that they didn't also add that to tf2 yeah i don't know if this was a um like steam marketplace transaction or whether it was a off the books type thing because can I, don't... I assume it's off the books because you can only have up to like 250 dollars in uh, your steam wallet can't you it's about six hundred, I think. Oh, it's some, but it's yeah, something. It's a lot 10, less than that, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm also not sure if like whether these things can be traded. I suppose they probably can. I remember finding a lot of stuff in TF2 that couldn't be traded. But mm. in Dota, they have a lot of things that now have a time limit, so you can't trade them. But you know, if it's a special thing or if it's a time limited thing, then yeah. you can't trade them for a certain amount of time after you. Dota's got really locked down marketplace now like mm. it's it's not what it used to be in fact it's kind of strange to me that dota csgo and tf2 all have different degrees of third-party market mm. uh, like dota is very very locked down now csgo is still i think a little bit more of a free-for-all under csgo is partly because if you know not wanting to be seen to be responding to directly to lawsuits in case that mm. you know implies guilt or something obviously i have no insight on that front but it would be interesting to yeah you know whether not being seen to be responding to those things is as important as you know i think they did respond to like the gambling thing right they didn't they just sort of say that, that it wasn't like this is not something we sanction and this i think is they started do going down and actively shutting them down like. uh, okay oh they sent some takedown notices yeah didn't they? Mm. Mm. shall we do some questions from questions ladies and gentlemen 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Rather than infinite barking like a dog. Yes. Cool. Our first question comes from Dean. Dean writes, Game you would most like to see come to PC that hasn't already. Shove Hapney excluded. Natch. Mm. Bloodborne. Katamari Damacy. Mm. Nice. Mm. Selfishly, I want Zelda because I can't play it currently. Yeah. But unselfishly, Horizon Zero Dawn so that anyone who has not yet played it can. Hmm. Good answers. Mm. Don't know if I have an answer for this. Probably Zelda as well. Maybe Bloodborne. Yes. But we can, you know, play all of these things in the comfort of my office now that we've got the Blubbin set up. Latest Blubbin is going up on Sunday. Yes. I did enjoy the reception to the last episode of Tom surprisingly good at Bloodborne. Because it took us three episodes <laughs> to the bit where some suddenly competence emerged. Prepare for um, a second wave of surprise. So. <laughs> <laughs> <Get> much worse. <laughs> No spoilers, but we build you up so that we can knock you down. That's right. As Bloodborne does, it's fitting, really. Indeed. Uh, Claudia writes, Have you ever picked up a hobby because of a video game that you played? I uh, sort of got into archery for that reason. Hmm. Uh, not because there's so many bows in Far Cry games and the like, but... Um, uh, well, yeah, a little bit because of that. <laughs> um <coughs> Well, actually, yeah, I kind of got into... Uh, I was interested in archery because bows are so cool in video games and it turns out they're really cool in real life. And then VR archery ruined it for me by being better <laughs> and not requiring you to go anywhere. Because <laughs> VR archery is just like... Obviously, you don't have the physicality of like the draw weight of a bow. Um, but there was such a stronger correlation between um, me controlling my motion and actually having a good effect whereas with archery like i got a lot better at first and then i didn't get any better for the next like 40 minutes of of like careful intentional practice with supervisation supervision from an expert you're giving me like you know trying to guide me and everything and i you know i was reasonably good but i didn't get any better and so it's kind of stopped being uh i I was kind of thinking okay well eventually i'll get better but it'll take a long time and then vr archery no you just get fucking better all the fucking time constantly (laughs) Uh, specifically um uh hollow point which is uh, i talked about before which is an archery game where you're shooting things on all sides of you so it's all about twisting and turning and ducking and dodging and you're just using so many different muscles and skills that you can just keep getting better at it it's really satisfying mm. Mm. i, I um, sometimes come into chris's room and knock his things on the floor <laughs> <laughs> what is that <laughs> that's just like how i would in a zelda game like I would just <laughs> climb on things and push things over and just generally Spoil your room. Grab a chicken and fly away. And then walk up. Yeah, like, I won't window. even have a conversation. I'll just be like, well, I got what I came for. Goodbye. Mm. Yeah, I think it's one of the bad influence of video games and a hobby that you've picked up, especially. I think it's more that I can now blame it on video games. Yeah. It, I think it predated video games and coincided with seeing cats. <laughs> wow, you can just do that? Mm. Exactly, and you can. <laughs> and people are so surprised that they won't call you on it. You can just walk into their room, push things off a table, and then leave. Mm. I don't know if this is a genuinely applicable rule, Pip. I wouldn't encourage you to. <laughs> Kim used to do this. Before you can push this. To me, she was just like, all the pens in the pen holder, just take them out and put them down. Yeah. Just turn my mouse upside down. <laughs> yeah. And then you don't General know what mischief. to do. Yeah, exactly. I, I knew what to do. It was annoying to have to do it. <laughs> Yeah, but like it, it makes you, <laughs> it does make you sort of 
pause for a moment for long enough for some more mischief to happen you know <laughs> while I'm carefully opening all of your books and turning them upside down and moving things around and you know putting things out of reach or on the floor or mm. so, it's great I mean I'm thinking of getting a doorstop I'm not gonna lie um, to use it on the in. inside yeah mm. but you'd get upset and you'd scratch at the door and whine so <laughs> <laughs> I'd already be inside and then oh you'd God. have trapped me the in here. The mischief is coming from inside the room. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'd sit in your cupboard and wait. You'd hate that. Yeah, I'd get really bored and there'd be a lot of noise coming from inside the cupboard. Also, but... the cupboard is where I keep both the Corvo mask and the scary Tyson. No, I meant mask. that one. Oh, the other cupboard. Mm. Oh, shit. Well, I've got no foil for that. I'll no. tell you what, I'm going to put one scary mask in each cupboard. <laughs> I don't like this idea. Exactly. All right, fine. I was going to say that I got into poker for a bit at uni because of Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> Which had a very good poker mini game in it. Well, it didn't have a good poker mini game in it. It had a functional poker mini game, and that was enough to make me decide that I wanted to be good at poker, like a cowboy might be. Perhaps why not? How did that go? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Are you good at poker? I'm okay at the, the like the poker face lying side of poker. I, I I struggle to remember all of the rules of poker I did at the time. <laughs> I think I'd probably be better at it now. What, like, the royal flush? And all yeah, that. like, exactly what the kind of the odds are of certain Two things. Pair. The actual game of it, rather than the looking at people and going... Mm, that's mm. actually most of the game. Yeah. <laughs> the secret about poker is uh, the kind of cultural idea that it's about reading people it's and not. lying. And it's actually, oh, what's the odds of this happening? Well, let's play the odds. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, occasionally it comes down to, you know, guessing people. But... bothers me so much that every poker movie scene is just the main character bets everything he has on every hand he gets like Casino Royale the, the newest one yeah. he literally bets everything he has on every hand he gets yeah. <laughs> and he wins because he has better cards like there's no skill or strategy or anything involved I've, I've been in poker games like that though where you've just got a maniac and sometimes they just win but yeah that, that grants him any sort of gravitas or kudos for doing that yeah. which is what the the movie implies is, is stupid it's the opposite I'd like it if they were like Sorry. betting on all of this stuff and then you'd pan round and you'd see that they were just playing happy families. <laughs> and like, it was like, have you got Mr. Chip Shop Man? Because <laughs> like, you know, Real yes. would have been a much better game if they were playing Netrunner. Mm, <laughs> although only tense. two of them could play. That's, they could all line up. And That's then, true. Yeah, steal each other's cards. They could have a little tournament. Mm. Oh, yes. Oh, very different from if they were playing Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, different. Six hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hmm. I mean, uh, well, so what bond what, this is a question for the next mini podcast like which uh, army bond would collect and what it says about him for a different podcast yeah, different podcast, yeah. Right. someone said that into the miniatures podcast yes um, our next question comes from Benedict any pre 2000s 2D games you'd like remade as VR games I'd like to see Dungeon Keeper made because in Dungeon Keeper you've got a grabby hand I think looking down mm. on your dungeon in 3D... I too, a human man. <laughs> exactly. Hand. Let's combine I can relate to this. Uh, and I love the idea of kind of like... Because uh, it's a, a shriveled hand that's like an evil hand. Mm. So I love the idea of reaching down with the controller and seeing your evil hand and picking up an imp and then slapping it with the other hand and yeah. then putting it down somewhere else. I've seen uh, uh, videos of a VR sort of city built or village build, building game where, yeah, you have an embodied hand in the world and you just literally grab civilians and pick them up and put them where you want them and mm. pick up buildings and stuff. That's cool. And I think like um, that really satisfying noise that it makes in Dungeon Keeper where you 
allocate a piece of a chunk of rock to be mined yeah. out by your imps like just tapping bits of block or just kind of like rubbing it <laughs> with, a, with a hand and then watching it be demolished would be really satisfying in VR yeah <laughs> really tactile mm. had great sound design yeah, it did. I'd like to play 3D <laughs> VR pipe mania that could be interesting with like the different shapes and trying to connect things and like trying not to have like spillages of ooze like <laughs> seeping everywhere that they could call be it cool. plumbing yeah well i thought about this but obviously it's not plumbing is it it's there's too much gunge for plumbing right because otherwise Depends that's not how water looks in real life no that's true that is the fantasy of it it's green yes mm. and so you couldn't do it in real life i would i don't know what old 2d game uh this would be based on perhaps none but i i really want like a uh a kind of management game where i, I think i'm thinking of like is it called like tiny tower on mobile thing where mm. you just there's a tower and there's something go, going on on every floor and it's just a management game like spinning plates kind of yeah, thing yeah you have like I, residential floors and you have shops and you have yeah yeah it's like a high-rise city essentially i want that but 3d and just sort of like the tower's about my height and so I'm just kind of like I can sit on the floor or I can like move around it and it's just a case of like looking inside at what's going on there and mm. then like you know tapping on things and moving things around to make sure it's running well. When I went to FanFest and they were sort of pushing VR that first year that they were working on like Valkyrie they had uh, as part of their VR sort of extravaganza they had a an eve like massive ship i don't know what it was called which one it was but you could put your vr headset on and get in really close and hmm. see people actually moving around awesome. on the different floors it was kind of like having one of those replica um sort of uh titanic or carpathia or something yeah. you know but um that you get in massive glass cases at um like the science museum or whatever now um but in this virtual reality space so it could animate and you know you could see people going about their lives it was essentially like having a doll's house which yeah that would be really cool mm. <laughs> i think so just quickly on vr like the the challenge that they've got to get over is it's got to be something that's like so worth me putting that headset on and the hassle of setting it up and clearing my room and making sure there's space around like it's got to be not just worth it when i do it but it's got to be so worth it that even before i do it i know it's going to be worth it because mm -hmm. that's the problem right now there's a bunch of things where i re i remember vaguely that when i did this it was worth it but it's not like uh just from sitting at my desk uh without having done all that work of setting it up it doesn't seem worth it and you've got to make things that are just so worth being there that like it can't be casual it can't be low engagement low interest it's got to be something really fucking like worth a bunch of effort to get mm. into or even just that it fills a gap in someone's life because i was thinking about this the other day because um i was thinking that it, an interesting application of vr could be to do with uh faith and so people who maybe can't get out to church or something if you had a vr headset and you know game or an app rather where you could boot it up and it would present you with you know one of those like the inside of a cathedral that kind yeah. of cavernous space that i think is helpful for some people to shift into that mindset yeah, of, that's you know sort of presenting them with i don't know a particular church service or whatever if they if that was what they were 
after I think it could be interesting in that way and that would be a kind of a, a service pun not intended um that it would provide to them that they might genuinely be willing to put up with the faff of VR because it would mm. provide something of worth to them. Mm. I think that wasn't a 2D game. It was <laughs> 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 just it was not a 2D game in the 90s. <laughs> Patrick writes, Dear Crab and Crumble Pie, mm. um, Last week on the pod, when discussing Edith Finch, you mentioned scenes in which in the game where you know that your character will be doomed by your actions but having to do it in order to progress. This falls under the umbrella of LND, ludonarrative dissonance. But I think I want to draw a distinction between games forcing you to do morally repugnant things, repugnant, not repugnant, things like no be Russian. The example for me was in GTA 4, knowing that the action of Nico killing his unreliable and hot-headed boss early in the game was inevitable given the characters but I wasn't able to bring myself to do it. The only choice in them offer was to walk away from the game, and that's what I did for about an hour. Have you been in a situation like that, where you can see that something is a logical consequence of the systems or personalities in the game, but because it has to happen by your hand, you're unable to bring yourself to do so? Thanks for podding, Patrick. Uh, if he's responding to... I'm trying to think. Uh... No, actually, probably isn't. <laughs> There's an Edith Finch complaint that I had uh, that wasn't exactly that, but I probably didn't say it on the podcast because I think it's a bit spoilery. Uh, so I certainly shouldn't say it now anyway. Uh, to his question, I I did have a thing in, in a game where I stopped playing the game because I didn't want to do it. Um, and it wasn't... It was partially moral, more, more like visceral reasons, and it was VR. Uh, it was Accounting, which is the game by... Um, William Pugh and Justin Roiland, um, and possibly some others, I'm not sure who else. Um, Justin Roiland being the Rick and Morty guy and William Pugh being one of the Stanley Parable people. Um, and it's sort of like pitched as a as an accounting app, but obviously you know there's going to be more to it and uh, pretty soon you get transported to some strange places. And there's it's one of those things where like... Uh, it puts you in situations where it's really obvious what you have to do to progress, but there's like a character yelling at you not to do it, all that kind of thing. Um, and sometimes there's a character yelling at you to do it. But in this case, big, fat guy, um, very cartoonish, uh, and he's got this like giant, giant, like weirdly swollen stomach. I think it might even have like a sort of dotted line on it or something. And he is just, uh, he's in some kind of like dungeon. And you arrive there and he's like just saying, oh, I'm so so glad to meet you. Like, this is so great. Um, I've been alone here for so long. It's really lo- lovely to have someone else here. And he keeps talking like that. And there's just a giant knife on the table in front of him. And I think he even like makes some comments about like, I don't know, uh, says some things that... Uh, you sort like of, a cutting remark. Um, <laughs> yeah, he. I think he um, indirectly expresses a desire not to be cut open by this knife. And it's very obvious that you had to cut him with a knife. And I just didn't want to do it. It was just too real. Like, even though he's incredibly cartoonish, being in VR just makes everything more real. And, the, like, stabbing this, like, nice, friendly dude it was just beyond what I was prepared to do. So I literally just stopped playing the game. I don't know what happens after that. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some... There is a game where I stopped playing it because I, I just... I think it wasn't quite the same as that. It wasn't a kind of... Um, visceral effect of 
that kind of choice but it was a kind of oh I'm just not playing your nonsense and I I've had it a few times with games but usually quite early on you know when they try and teach you a lesson and it's like oh you know the mm. thing that we basically got you to do oh well surprise surprise <laughs> that wrong. taught you a moral lesson and you're like <laughs> well it didn't really and that was lazy as all hell and it just sort of it bodes so poorly for the rest of the game that that's usually where I tap out but I think I'm really struggling to remember it but there was definitely one fairly recently where I just sort of thought do you know what? I'm not doing it. I'm just... I, no, Wouldn't, don't care. Not recent, but Assassin's Creed 1 does that really badly. Like, you, yeah. ha- it starts off with you just having to kill a bunch of people who aren't your target, and then you get lectured for, like, oh, half God, an yeah. hour. <laughs> oh, no, you don't kill people who aren't your target. You're an idiot. It's like, I didn't, fu- didn't want to do that. You made me do that, you fucking pricks. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but, yeah, and there's also just, like, that... I mean, I have also stopped. I I can't play Bioshock because of the injections and stuff. Huh. But that's, yeah, that's not. That wasn't what the question was, was it? How do you feel about Prey? <laughs> well, I hang on. How how spoilery is it? Hang on. I think that what you do to in- install a neuromod is not spoilery. So I haven't got that far because okay. <laughs> I decided that I was. I really like the fish tank in my apartment or just outside my apartment. I think there's one in your apartment yeah. as well. Is there? Yeah, I think yeah. it is really nice. I, I looked at that for ages. But yeah, so I spent ages I so. looking at it and I have a lot of screenshots of that fish. And then when things sort of go to hell just afterwards and like, the game seemed to want me to break the fish tank and then <laughs> so I did but I felt really terrible about it even though that then <laughs> reveals a lie related to said fish tank and then so I sort of carried on with the game for a bit after that but I just my heart wasn't in it because I missed my fish tank and I felt sad and it didn't really seem to be about fish anymore so I mean I if it is about fish, maybe let me know so that I will finish <laughs> you it. You don't have game. to destroy that fish tank. No, yeah, I that's know, true. and that's why I felt really bad because then I realised that I didn't have to destroy it, but I already had done, and I felt a bit like the game had pressured me, <laughs> and I was a bit cross with it because I didn't want to hurt the fish, even though it didn't then hurt the fish. Because I just, I felt like I'd been peer pressured. <laughs> I might be wrong actually about there being one in your apartment. I really don't think there is. Yeah, I feel like that's right. the sort of thing I would remember. Yeah, you're yeah, more likely to remember that than me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember staring at the fish tank in that game. Is it in the It's just after you leave your apartment, you turn right. Yeah, right. it's in the corridor. And it's in the apartment. corridor, oh, like just outside, just above a chair. And mm. there's one single like angelfish, I think, just okay. sort of doing its thing. Yeah, that's right. I have looked at that for quite a while. <laughs> so, yeah. My next question comes from Diffractor, who writes, A loud and firm hello to you. Hello. I saw a game advert. Maybe you've seen it too. A human and an alien walk along a path to a mysterious pyramid with a mysterious figure. The alien is chosen and the human is angry. Suddenly, space fights. The two of them are fighting each other. The music swells and then endless space too. I burst out laughing. What are the worst examples of trailer slash game disconnect that you have seen? Do you think these harm the game's reception? Best regards, Diffractor. So for context, Endless Space 2 is a 
turn-based 4X strategy game. Yeah, it's a 4X strategy game. It's not Mass Effect. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I think I, anything that is like a live-action advert for a 4X game misleads me. Because yeah. I'm always a bit like, oh, but then it won't be like that. <laughs> yeah. I remember the trailer for Elder Scrolls Online was a sort of just a cinematic battle between various mm. the various races that they're going to offer you in that but like to a ridiculous extent where you just all the time you're watching it nothing you're showing me will ever happen in the game like or nothing like it and MMO. they're ccg isn't it like they've got people huddled around a fire while someone tells a story and you're like it's a ccg mate i mean <laughs> oh yeah 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 exactly <laughs> come on mmo is the worst offenders for this yeah across the board like tom we were talking about how you mentioned star wars the old republic yeah, I think their latest kind of expansion, which I think is about a child who gets corrupted by the dark side. But Star Wars then. Yeah, <laughs> like, all the Star Wars stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there's a like, fantastic um, like about seven-minute CG movie that just is independently a fantastic little Star Wars short story with a spectacular lightsaber fight and amazing dramatic scene setting. And it's just beautifully shot. Nothing to do with the game. <laughs> you play the game. Like I like that game, but... My goodness, there's nothing in it there that yeah. achieves that level of fidelity or Actually, like, intrigue. Uh, sort of building on that positive uh, aspect of like the thing being good in itself. I remember there the intro cutscene for Warcraft Two, which for some reason I mentioned like three times today, um, <laughs> was just an orc fighting a human in a field. Um, mm. Oh yeah, and it was CG. And I just remember being fucking blown away by that fight. I watched it like 15 times. It was literally the most exciting, like, fantasy battle I'd ever seen. Mm. Just one orc, one human. Um, but, like, the sort of... I'm sure it's pathetic if you watch it today, but the, um, like, the, the orc was fucking enormous. Like, his bicep is the size of the human. And he's just an <laughs> yeah. absolute towering uh, monstrosity. And the impact of the blows that they exchange is just, like, so... Uh, was so convincing to me at that time that thing was so influential it is the opening scene of the Warcraft movie it's really? one of the most like <laughs> it's one, good as well one of the most like and this, the, that movie is a bit of a disaster but when, when it works it really good. works yeah, and yeah. like it just opens on basically the same shot as the beginning of Warcraft huh. 2 which is a really deep cut but and kind of kind of cool so that's you know they kind of respected that legacy of it yeah I should watch that don't I mean <laughs> just that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know like I was thinking about the point about misleading though I mean I think it's I get disappointed if the bit of it that I liked is the bit that isn't representative like Mm. if it's the um, the action element when it's a turn-based strategy game like that that always throws me off but just because I'm sat there thinking oh I wish you'd made the other game out of this or I wish you'd made the I don't know the TV episode out of this but I think the only time where I've thought that it's been particularly disappointing and misleading is No Man's Sky. Mm. I I still think that that tread that trod too closely to what you were expecting to see in the game, mm. and the systems worked in slightly different ways and worse. And yeah. I do think that. I, despite the ruling and you know I do I have read it and everything I I do think it misleads I do think it's mm. not the game it's experience interesting, though, you get it's interesting though one of the reasons it's so difficult is that is an extremely subtle difference between the trailer and the game relative to the kinds of advertising for example being brought up here mm. like, and so it's, in, it's interesting that 
But that's why that's the one I have the problem with. Absolutely. But like as that precedent gets set for what is and isn't deemed misleading, um, it's sort of interesting that if, if, so if, for example, that No Man's Sky trailer had been deemed, you know, misleading in a kind of, uh, you know, a consumer rights sense, Mm. then there are so many game trailers that are, including the Endless Space ones already been mentioned, including half the MMO ones we're talking about that are vastly (laughs) worse. Like, and that's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that doesn't excuse any game in particular it just shows that the art of advertising games on tv is in a really weird place because it's mm. um it's so di- it's so divorced from the medium that it's actually advertising like it's not like you know a tv spot for a movie it's it's really is kind of mad that like those i mean because you know like those all of those um that's there are some sour sales republic shorts are pretty good and they're probably making yeah. very you know compelling TV spots because people love Star Wars and all the rest of it, but they have nothing to do with the product that's being advertised at all. They might as well be selling crisps. Hmm. Like, you know, there's um, it's a. I can't think of another medium where that level of sheer tonal visual. But I think it's that thing of like differences. Obviously, to argue the other side is to say that it's an attempt to explain the the way it feels when you play it because obviously looking over someone's shoulder at a 4x you're not going to see the the stories unfolding in any kind of epic way sure, even yeah. though that's the intention and that's what they hope that they are building and so like that's i in a in that way i'm actually fine when it's so divorced that you can tell really easily it's more when it blurs that line and you're not sure whether this is what you're expecting to play Mm. or whether this is the evocative sort of you know concept that you're seeing play out and that's hopefully what you'll get an approximation of but you don't know i think that's yeah that was the problem that i had with with no man's sky even though i love the game i do think that you get a different thing than you see in the advert and like i say it is it it got ruled that it wasn't misleading and you know yeah whatever but i think um i think that particularly is like definitely going to be more misleading more misleading to game literate people mm. i feel maybe, maybe that's a, a line worth sort of establishing it's like um if you're super game literate you're probably less likely to be misled by one of these kind of flashy cgi trailers because you're used to reading between the lines or understanding that that's not what you're getting necessarily mm. if you're less game literate you're probably more likely to be misled by the flashy thing than by the more subtle kind of grades of difference but i do agree with you that it's um it's it is a more kind of it's interesting because when you're advertising i think when you're advertising toys to kids on tv you have to show the kid interacting with the real toy you can't just show hmm. what it would be doing if it had an inner life as in toy story you know hmm. you have to you yeah. have to show it in context so that the kid isn't misled and so you have to show its limp lifeless body <laughs> and, <laughs> and so i'd be interested if there was anything like that that would ever come out for games like in a you have kind to show of, a you, kid playing it <laughs> <laughs> or you have to show i don't know a certain proportion of the advert has to be in-game footage yeah. you can't mm. just show a cinematic yeah. trailer and go well there you go that's the game in a way, now like that would that kind of rule would strongly favour things like Far Cry, mm. where the game itself is one thing, and then it has in-engine cinematic scenes that are incredibly well uh, digitally acted and and presented, uh, just like movie scenes, basically. 
and you could reasonably say that's in game yeah. and that would kind of circumvent it in, in a way imagine if they had to do the disclaimers like you get on american um health like prescription medicine adverts <laughs> you know like may not be as depicted blah 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 <laughs> might cause death please check with your parents before you you know all that kind of maybe a 60 percent game so <laughs> <laughs> really good ratings may go up as well as down <laughs> So a really good um, advert, actually. We always complain about them, but there's a there's a really good one for uh, the new Lord of the Rings, the sequel to Shadow of Mordor, which is Shadow, Shadow of something War. else, Shadow of War, War, which famously does cast a shadow as a you know yeah. concept. <laughs> uh, but it just showed um, your player character climbing up the wall on the outside of a castle and then getting into a tussle with a, an orc necromancer with the kind of cutscenes, and then it broke out into combat and. Uh, showed all the systems like climbing and vaulting and running uh, and having played the first game i know that that is all legit and mm. uh, i know how all, all that stuff feels and the combat feels really good in that game it's really violent and quick and it was displaying all that same stuff and it, it was really uh it was obviously choreographed so nothing kind of clumsy happened the person who's playing it was really good and i like they in, like did the famous insta kill decapitations on everyone to make it look good but it was legitimately the game and it got me really excited for it because it reminded me of the first game and it also demonstrated how they'd kind of elevated it for the, for the sequel. So I'm actually now quite excited about that one. Huh, yeah, mm. that's good. And so it helps when games are promising. Yeah, and they show, they just lay out the systems for you and say this is mm. what happens, which is what um, Rockstar are very good at this as well, I think, with their... Um, they just have like a voiceover over footage of stuff happening. You just mm. literally explain what you do in the thing. And but that's all I want. <laughs> do you think that you would have felt that way if you hadn't played Shadow of Mordor? As in, mm. would you have looked at that trailer and gone, well, I mean, I've been burnt by this before. Is that even, you know, because you had context that you could then apply. You weren't mm. just sort of trying to go on trust standard bit of learned cynicism it was okay that's the system i know and it looks better in this thing yeah i think i would have dismissed about 40 percent of it but i think like 60 percent of it i would have been excited about anyway like the, um mm. watching the combat and watching there's a bit where he's uh, he jumps off uh, a rampart and pulls his bow and goes into slow motion gets two headshots and then he's sailing down towards like a campfire and the thing in shadow of war is that you're kind of half magic ghost elf half human uh, and you can uh, switch into ghost elf form to do magic stuff and um he's got a hammer he's like the guy who forged the ring basically and his magic hammer does stuff and then it, so he targets like a campfire and he turns into ghost guy and he hammers the campfire just slams down and the campfire explodes and sets like a load of orcs around him on fire mm. and, and that I, I would i was like i would be sold on that even if i'd not nice. played the previous game it's like oh, i get to do that and it's clearly in game it's clearly a system that exists in the game that is working as intended mm. as someone who's played a lot of games if i wouldn't necessarily need to play that game specifically to understand that that, that how that would work and why it would feel good i'll tell you something that's in the grudge book and that is in engine footage just as a caption that means nothing mm. because it's just such a broad meaningless yeah. term it's essentially well you probably won't find this in the game but we've like fudged it to some extent so that it's essentially using some of the same tech i don't know here's the thing yeah, it could be entirely choreographed, Ugh. and it can like circumvent like an engine's problems by simply selectively showing you 
scenes yeah. that are yeah, of I'm a certain being size rendered on a rig designed <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah like a rig that no gamer would own and also um, like equally alpha footage alpha mm. gameplay it's an industry term it's not a term that a consumer would understand and besides that every studio has a different definition of what alpha is like it's such a mean <laughs> alpha footage sounds like the best footage <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why they do it and but beta equally. as well like I mean there's such sloshy weird terms that don't really mean anything like I was I wrote a thing about um, you know people can sign up for that uh the sunless skies uh beta for you know for but i think it was what was it like it was called a closed alpha and then people were sort of messaging me to sort of you know argue the toss that it was in my day this was called a beta and it's like <laughs> well i mean that's they're a boring calling day it a closed alpha and that is what you will find it with if you put it in google or whatever <laughs> and just these terms are meaningless anyway they essentially just mean that it hasn't released yet and the next letter is delta is delta an official thing now is it you know or have we is that the actual release is that i oh Hmm. so dumb sorry that was a i'm just scribbling in the grudge book all by yourself as always that's not true you have much help in fact (laughs) You have some help here from Gamey Oddlyman, which I don't think is his real name. Sure. Who sends a tiny Twitter-sized grudge. Hold on, Dishonored. I can steal items from Piero Joplin's own desk and sell them back to him. How will he react to this? Will he be angry, confused? What would the outcome of this brazen act of theft possibly be? Oh, it's nothing. Mm, yeah. Reasonable. That's annoying. Th- I there's love no when... for theft. I remember yeah. in, like, Stalker there'd be merchants who would buy artifacts from you and there would frequently be like three or four artifacts just next to them <laughs> like yeah. within three feet and you pick it up and then sell it to them for a fortune <laughs> wow where did you get this this is amazing who was the person that he was stealing from Piero Joplin who's that it's the I invented he's like Q oh he's person. the guy with the mask right he made the mask yeah, yeah. okay yeah but like yeah I See, no. I actually always thought that one could be explained quite easily, which is that because he says that the reason you pick up some things in Dishonored and they just turn into money, basically, because there's mm. no selling mechanic in that game. Uh, it's just if you pick something up that you could sell, you just get the money straight away just to avoid that extra level of fuss. And he explains to you that um, he needs you to gather things so that he can sell the things and then he will go out and buy the materials he needs to make the stuff for you. So it's like the game almost just um, like skips all of the mechanism involved in him getting the resources for crafting stuff you you know you press <coughs> you click on a painting or a piece of art in the world it turns into money piero goes and uses that money to buy the stuff he needs to make you things and so all that amounts to is you give piero money and he gives you things and it's just a sort of hyper streamlined thing so i always assumed that when you were picking up and and selling the stuff in his office it was because you had agreed <laughs> that you would pawn off this stuff to buy the whatever he needs in order to make your gear. So I don't think it necessarily is a huge disconnect in Dishonored specifically, but I do get what what uh, Gamey is um, getting at, which is that it's weird that people in um, RPGs let you steal all their stuff even though there's a robust simulation for other things. Mm, I think it's like... 
I, I don't know because it annoys me both ways. For example, when I get caught stealing in Skyrim, it always really annoys me because I'm like, yeah, but you left it right there. And then the <laughs> it was game. It's on your table, come on. <laughs> and then the game is sort of built around you picking up all manner of nonsense. And so the, the weird bits where it suddenly decides, no, that's someone else's nonsense. And you're just a bit like really and sometimes it can just feel quite arbitrary because it's like okay well that thing is and that thing isn't and yeah i remember uh, fallout 3 uh had this karma system so it didn't even matter whether anyone saw you do something it would still count on karma and in uh the basement of some murdering cannibals i took i took the bone saw that they've been using to saw up it saw up bodies and I lost karma for that <laughs> no that's their saw leave it there they might need to use it to chop up some more bodies later yeah like I kind of get why all of that stuff is um, why it exists and it's mostly out- outliers within systems that more broadly make sense but I think it, yeah they games really haven't figured that one out it feels like because yeah, either it's like, hey, collect everything except that thing. You I mean, know? I think the rules are or... pretty, pretty... Like, there are some weird inconsistencies in, in the Elder Scrolls games. Or but it's not games, even like... necessarily that it's inconsistent. It's that it it just doesn't feel fun to not steal all of their things. Because <laughs> I, I want... Know, I can't disagree with that. Like, it's always like the stuff you can't get in the dungeons just sitting there in the shop and you can either buy it or you can try and nick it. But there's a challenge that goes with nicking it. You can like slowly lower a bucket over the shopkeeper's head and then oh, you can yeah. see it because he doesn't have <laughs> line of sight anymore. See, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Exactly, that, that behaviour is enabled by your inability to just... Yes, things. but... I don't believe that anything should be difficult to me when I'm having a power fantasy. <laughs> and thus, like, if I have the most important job and the most big sword and the best collection of potions that do absolutely stupid things, then why would nobody give me their things without being, you know, like... <laughs> why won't you all just give me your things? I'm terrifying, right? I have unpredictable potions, a big sword, a bunch of souls... And like you won't even let me have a bread roll. I remember that if you, sucks. That if like, stinks. I'm the king of this land, and that's rubbish. <laughs> well, you're you're perfectly entitled to just kill them all when they object. If you're well, that yeah. <laughs> if you steal a horse in the, in Skyrim, um, if no one sees you do it, it's fine. Uh, but then, like, I stole a horse and I r- rode along to Riften, I think, and just before Riften there's an Imperial Guard camp, so, and I got off to talk to some of those guys, and they're cool with me, and we're, we're chatting, and they're inviting me to join the Imperial Legion and stuff, and then I got back on my horse, and they're like, oh my god, a thief! <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I see where you're coming from. Technically, that isn't my horse, but how the fuck did you know that? Was the horse telling on you? That horse was a rat! <laughs> he doesn't own me. He's not my owner. Uh, <laughs> stranger my danger, own stranger danger. <laughs> You should have written Tom's horse on it and then you'd have been fine. Just love that they like, see me ride in. That's like, oh, okay, he's on his horse. He's getting off his yeah. horse. All fine. No, he's getting back on those. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the natural reaction of a horse to its owner. It's like feeling slightly annoyed. I don't know. Oh, I just wish people would give me all of their things. I know. <laughs> Oh, I, I don't even remember what the grudge was. I just want a bread roll. <laughs> Sweet rolls always look good. With that icing and stuff. Oh, yes. Can't you decorate your entire house in the Elder Scrolls Online with sweet rolls? <laughs> I don't know. 
I meant to investigate that and then it would have required a lot of playing the Elder Scrolls online and I figured I could just buy some sweet rolls. Yeah. Mm. And decorate the house with them. Mm. Or just eat them. Bit of both. If you buy enough sweet rolls, you're going to get tired of them eventually. That's true. You're going to get tired of eating. Your mouth will get tired. And then you'll just have to make sure you've got enough sweet rolls to sleep on. (laughs) You see? I believe that's all of the um, deeply sound life advice we've got time for. (laughs) And if you get, like, those cinnamon rolls, then you could unroll them and then cover twice the amount of floor real estate. (laughs) Although they wouldn't be recognisably cinnamon rolls at that point. They would be cinnamon strips. Spectacular useless <laughs> advice, Pip. Oh. You <laughs> I mean, but that's hurtful. <laughs> you were you were not being serious, I assume. I was solving a problem. <laughs> For whom? <laughs> Potentially this is me. A tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially anyone. Thank you. Hmm. Mm. If you'd like to send us a piece of priceless life advice for a future episode of the podcast... I won't read it. (laughs) Or indeed, a question, or more traditionally, a grudge. uh, You can do so by emailing us at questions at CreightonCrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at CreightonCrowbar. And you can help us out a little bit by, you know, rating the podcast on iTunes, by pressing the like on subscribe buttons on YouTube... And so on. If you find out a little bit more about supporting the podcast through Patreon, you can do that. At you should rate dot- it five stars. That's helpful. Mm, five. Yeah, not less than that. No. <laughs> um, <you> can, <laughs> like the, Far Cry Five. That helpful interjection bit was completely threw me, and I've now forgotten the URL <laughs> for the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Patreon no. Crowbar. <laughs> no, it's not. Great. I'm pretty crowbar. sure it's patreon.com slash Patreon slash. It's just the normal URL. This URL you expect. Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. Yeah. link is also in That's our website. That's what I was saying, but then I Patreon too many times. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened to us all. There is some interference. I mm. guess there's no such thing as Patreoning too many times. Is there, though? Is that? Yes. Anyway, moving Patreon. on. Patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. This is going fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this gives them enough time to get to a computer and write it all in. <laughs> HTTP. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Do you remember, like, in the early 90s, or no, maybe not then, but at some point uh, in the early days of the web, when it was people having to read out URLs on TV for the first time, they got sick of saying HTTP colon slash slash, and they had this, like, motion to call it HitWeb. That was what they wanted to say, (laughs) was HitWeb. That's hilarious. Google.com. But then now they can't even be bothered with www. Yeah, well, sometimes you don't need it, but sometimes you do. Chris doesn't even say it on this. No, because it's implicit, really, isn't it? I think well, you can get away without it. It depends on your domain registrar. Probably. It does depend on your domain registrar. And registra. your browser of choice. I mean, okay, so if anyone has been listening to this podcast for 191 episodes and has failed to find our website <laughs> in that time because I haven't mentioned it, then in full it is hitweb <laughs> www.crateandcrowbar, that's one word lowercase, dot, which is actually a full stop if you're unsure which one is the dot, C-O-M It's a back dot It's not the yeah. forward dot <laughs> Stationary forward dot lower comma. dot mm-hmm. um, Not Lob. an animated dot either um, If you would like <laughs> To follow us as individuals I'm on Twitter At C Thurston That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N Tom I'm at PCD Ludo Which is L-U-D-O 
Tom. I'm Appendact, P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. And he's Tom Francis, by the way. <laughs> just, <laughs> no, keep saying it, more Tom's will show Just so you know. <laughs> I was, was going to try that, Tom. Mm. <laughs> Pip. Yes. Oh, <laughs> at Philip War, which is at P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-W-R. Good job. That was collectively a shambles at the end there, wasn't it? com forward slash Philip War. Hit web Twitter. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.